What's up, everyone? It's Game Face episode 31, what I like to call the storm before the calm, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, yeah, because... Halloween. Well, well, Thanksgiving's coming, right. and, you know, after today, the industry pretty much shuts down. In fact, the industry now is officially shut down until next Monday. Pretty much, unless you're Just Cause 3. Yeah. It's pretty much over. <laughs> There's no, you know, all the sites are done for the week. They're all taking vacation. There's really going to be... Not a lot of curation going on on Sifted over the next couple days, but I will say I'm going to make it up by doing a bunch of live streaming over the next probably three or four days. Yeah, we're still here. Yeah, I'm still going to be here. And I'll be back in here probably tomorrow to do some live streaming. I'm probably going to stream some Xenoblade, which we have very strict restrictions, again, from Nintendo on what we can and cannot stream. It's like two pages worth of, like, you can show this, you cannot show that. So it's going to be really hard to just figure out exactly what I can show and what I can't. Uh, but yeah, everything's going to be shutting down over the next few days, so you're not going to see a ton of new content on Sifted as far as curation is concerned. That's just the way it is over Thanksgiving. Everybody kind of leaves tonight and then flies home, because most of the people who work in the industry aren't from California. Right. Most people from in L.A. aren't from L.A. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, a lot of people, and well, San Francisco as well. It's a big, com- big, uh, big city for people moving there from outside. So... The industry is about to shut down. This is probably the last thing you're going to see game-related that's live and happening other than streaming gameplay over the next few days. So we are here to do it. We're here to have a special Thanksgiving episode with you sifters. Uh, We're going to answer a ton of your questions at the end of the show today as a kind of a thank you to you guys for supporting us and for showing up tonight because we realize a lot of people are with their families right now and not watching live streams like ours. So we're going to answer a ton of questions at the end of the show. Um, Gifted launched today, mm. finally, after I talked about it on the show for the last four weeks in a row. Just in time. Just in time for Black Friday and the whole holiday shopping season. So uh, check it out. I think it works really well. Uh, you get really cool email confirmations to let you know that you've bought stuff. The person that you buy it for, you can choose to send them an email. Or you can send it to yourself and get the code. Because what happens is when you buy something on Gifted, you just get a code that you mm. put in when you on the registration page. Someone in the chat just said something interesting. Could you just go get a Japanese version of Xenoblade and just play that with no restrictions? Yeah, you could. That's a little sense this makes? Yeah. All right. It is. It's ridiculous. But (laughs) you wouldn't understand what they're saying anyway. Yeah. And I've kind of started Xenoblade, and like I wouldn't be able to play this game in Japanese. So the restrictions would protect us from being spoiled by the genius of the English localization. I suppose, yeah. (laughs) Cool. I will say this. It is a really complicated game. Like, everything about it. The combat, like, everything about it is crazy intricate. And, like, I would not be able to play the Japanese version of this game. But you're absolutely right. Like, they've basically given us embargoes on a game that's been out in Japan for, like, Like two months. months or something. Yeah. Yeah. And we're actually going to get into a little bit of that topic here in Mm -hmm. a hot minute Mm -hmm. on Game Face. We're going to talk about something that happened in the last week with another publication kind of regarding working with publishers and things like that that was a little bit ridiculous. Uh, but yeah, really excited for the show, really excited for Gifted. Get out there and use it. Buy Gifted for other gamers that you know, your little brother, your big brother who went away to college. I mean, one of your family who's a gamer who you want to be on uh, Sifted, buy him a gift certificate. It's better than like the stupid Secret Santa stuff you usually get, right? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. it's right in that price range. Usually it's a 20 to $30 price range for a Secret Santa. Yeah. So. And it lasts all year. Yep. And like I was saying earlier, uh, when you buy something, you basically get a code that you put on the registration page, and you can choose to send that to the person you're giving the gift to, or you can send it to yourself and then just take that code and put it in a card or whatever. So it's pretty flexible. You can do what you want with it. So it took a lot of work to get it to work, and it's up. So let's make some use of it. And with that, let's get to the big six. Mm-hmm. 
So the biggest story, I think, at least as far as the story that was generating most conversation on Sifted and on various message boards and things like that, is this week the editor-in-chief of Kotaku came out and basically spilled the beans on something that's been going on behind the scenes. And the funny thing is, is that like no other podcast has touched this. Like, mm. you know, we curate every podcast and we watch every podcast and we have to go through it and figure out what content it is in it because we need to tag that podcast to the games that they talk about. So we have to at least skim through and uh, watch or listen to every topic they talk about. No other podcast will touch this. Hmm. And for obvious reasons, for what we're about to talk about. So basically what happened is Kotaku, a couple years ago, pissed off Ubisoft. They ran, they leaked some information about Assassin's Creed Unity. And before it was announced and Ubisoft had had the chance to go through its marketing plans, because all that stuff's mapped out, Matt. Oh, yeah. Like... They, they have it all planned out. They're like, this, the letter. this is the day we, we put out the first information, the Game Informer. This is the day we put out the debut trailer for everybody yeah. else. And, this and anyone is... who has worked in press and done, like, you know, news stories or cover stories about stuff like that knows that. And, they you know, you have to maneuver around their PR schedule, you know, to fit in your coverage to kind of, you know, see what's going to be talked about or what's revealed or whatever. You always have to kind of work your way into that madness. Right. And so... They broke information about Assassin's Creed Unity. Uh, Unity came out, and according to Steven Totillo, who's the editor-in-chief of Kotaku, things kind of cooled out, and Ubisoft came back around and started working with them again. Well, right around the time that they did, they broke the first information on Assassin's Creed Syndicate, and that was then it. called Victory. Yeah, at that point, it's called Victory. And they had some screenshots of the game. Like, yeah. It was a pretty significant leak. I was pretty surprised. Especially because um, it already happened the year before. It was, it was like you think they would have locked that down. Exactly, yeah. I mean, that was you know Ubisoft's fault for not yeah. locking down that information. So basically at that point, Ubisoft blacklists Kotaku. And they haven't worked with them since. So Syndicate comes out. They didn't get review copies of the game. They're not working with them. They're not letting them interview their developers. They're basically, if they reach out for a comment, they're just blowing them off and not answering at all. And so... That was a problem with Ubisoft. Well, then he also shares a story about problems that they've had with Bethesda. And so, you probably remember this too, but Kotaku also leaked something for Doom. They were mm -hmm. saying the Doom project was having a ton of problems. They were thinking about reworking it, and Bethesda got pissed off about that. And then Kotaku also leaked something about Fallout 4. They had a bunch of information about Fallout 4. Um, according to the article written by Steven Totillo, he said that they had a lot more information that they didn't share about Fallout 4, including like the story and some of the plot and stuff like that. So basically he's saying, you know, we've been a little prudent with the information that we've been giving in these leaks. We're not giving it all up because we don't want to ruin things for the players or their, their mm -hmm. readers. And so Steven basically was hoping, kind of like the first time with Ubisoft, that all this stuff would just blow over. Eventually the publishers would get over it. And so Fallout 4 comes out, and you know his readership is like, hey, where's your review of Fallout 4? Why is it a week later and this review still isn't out? Or why is it day two, you know, after right. embargo broke and your review still not up? And so finally he felt like he had been pushed into a corner to where he needed to explain to his readers and his readership what was going on. And so he writes this really lengthy, I don't know if it's an editorial, but more of like an explanation of a what's A letter happened. from the editor kind of thing. Yeah, so he had sat on this whole turmoil going on behind the scenes for a year with both Bethesda and Ubisoft and finally felt the need to explain it to his readership. And so, you know, we curated this on Sifted and I was really shocked to see the response. Like some people were like, you know, if you're going to report, then report. Mm. But a lot of other people looked at it like, you know what, I don't like what Kotaku does. I feel like 
they're ruining the surprise for me. And I would rather see these games unveiled at a press conference where there's a whole bunch of hubbub about it and there's a bunch of pomp and circumstance surrounding it. And my position is, is that, you know, people complain all the time that video game journalists aren't journalists. And they say, oh, you're just an arm of their marketing or, you know, you're just beholden to the publishers and they have you in their pockets and then so finally we have a publication who gets real information and actually does some sleuthing which is never done in this industry from the press because most publications just take what they're given and they run with it and also evidenced by the fact that no one else is talking about this on any mm -hmm. podcast which it's like the biggest topic of the week so you know that's a little shady that no one's willing to talk about it but they're afraid they're afraid that ubisoft and bethesda is going to do the same thing to them that kotaku did that they did to Kotaku. So my perspective is, you know, I went to school for journalism. And, you know, when you go to school for journalism, they teach you to operate the way Kotaku operates. Like, mm -hmm. you go out and you hunt for information. If you find it, you run it, provided you haven't created an agreement with any of these people to not run the information. And so... And it should also be noted that I'm not, you know, I've not been a tremendous fan of Kotaku in the past. Right. But I think Totila, Toti, Totillo. Totillo has really uh, whipped that place into a sh into a different thing. Yeah. I think he's done a good job with it. So Well, the initial stuff that happened if with... You have, so some people, I think, are kind of reacting to, to Kotaku like, based on their like, kind of... Maybe like, like their predisposition towards judging Kotaku is what it was like, you know, six, seven, eight years ago. Yeah. Well, the other thing, too, is that the former editor-in-chief, Brian Crescente, was the one who was in charge when the stuff happened with Unity. Mm -hmm. So this is not all under Steven's watch, right. so to speak. But Although, there has been a shift at Kotaku from being kind of like just like sort of a, a like a sensationalist blog sort of thing to more of a you know we're going to report the story. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, they've they've always broken stuff. Yeah. Like they've always been the sluice in the industry. They're the ones who actually do go out and dig, and they have pretty good contacts. Yeah. And they and get... that comes from being you know Gawker is a pretty fearless organization when you really look at it. And a lot of people hate Gawker. Yeah. And I don't really read Gawker other than Kotaku, to be honest with you. I, I read mean, Kotaku and IO9. I know some people read Deadspin that are into sports. Um, I they... see a lot of Deadspin articles, even though I don't go specifically to Deadspin, but Deadspin. Does some good stuff. They break now. some stuff as well in sports. I mean, it's not just related to their video game coverage. Mm -hmm. So, in my opinion, you know, say what you want about some of Kotaku's content. You know, there's no publication that's going to put out content that everybody loves 100%. Right. Every publication is going to do something that you don't like, but they have to do that because they're trying to reach everybody. And yeah. so, I've never read every article in a newspaper. Ever. Right. Yeah. And so, look, there's some content I care about, there's some content you care about, but right. they need to serve both of us. So, mm -hmm inevitably they're going to publish something that i don't care about and vice versa they're going to put mm -hmm. out stuff that you don't care about it's called being a responsible publication trying to serve your audience i'm sure someone wants to read about all those anime figures right and so say what you want about kotaku and their content whether you like them or you hate them or whatever but in my opinion the bottom line is they're doing what they're supposed to be doing they are being mm -hmm. real journalists they are being what a lot of people are complaining the games press isn't and so here's a case where they're doing their jobs. They're doing exactly what they're supposed to. And the truth of the matter is, is that it goes against the grain because mm -hmm. all these other publications are so petrified of getting cut off from these guys that they do exactly what they're told by the publishers. And so, you know, I was really shocked to see that these people were like, no, I want the manufactured stuff. I don't want the real news. When a lot, a large portion of people who frequent these websites complain about that very relationship, the symbiotic relationship that publications have with the publishers. Matt, 
How do you look at this? Because obviously everyone has a different perspective, mm -hmm. and so I'm curious to hear yours. Well, I'm pretty sure, I assume, I hope, that the people that are complaining about that are different from the people who are complaining that they don't break real stories. I think, um, I mean, I don't know, maybe I've been in this too long, but like, you know, none of it surprises me. It doesn't surprise me at all that they did that. But if, you know, if you got the story, you run it. You know, I mean, if it's not going to damage someone, if it's not going to slander someone, you know. Well, some people say it does hurt the developers because the developers have worked on this game all this time. I don't believe that because, like, Fallout 4 is selling fine. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like, it's, <laughs> you know, it's, it's yeah. doing good. You know, and, and, and you know. If but the Syndicate hasn't sold as well. No, but I think, I don't think you can lay that at the feet of the Kotaku. Yeah, I, don't, I, I agree. I think, I, I think it's, you know, and it is, I mean, it's number three, it's okay. It's not yeah. what Assassin's Creed Brotherhood was, say. Right. But that's what happens when you put a game out every year. Yeah. You know, you're going to hit fatigue, fatigue eventually. Right. And Unity, I think, damaged the brand a little it bit. It definitely did. And yep. I, so I can see why, you know, they, they got real spiky about, you know, messing with their plans for the next game because clearly Victory slash Syndicate was kind of the, the game where they were going to try to put it all back on track. And I think they've succeeded in a lot of ways. But, like, um, do I think that they should respond to what happened there by, like, cutting Kotaku off? Like, it seems kind of petty to me. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't feel like any one article or any one anything like that is going to really... Yeah, especially because like I remember that article about Syndicate, and like most people are like, "Oh, that's a really cool setting." Yeah. Like, it's just like, "Oh, maybe this will be good." You know, it's like there's there's a lot of there was it wasn't like a slam. It wasn't like you know overused like tired series is going to Victorian London. You know, it's just like it wasn't like a like a weird. It was there just was like, no "Hey, slant. people want to know." There was no slant in it. It was them right. just reporting what they were told, and as it turns out, it was all right. It was yeah. all accurate. The information was good. Their source was good. I think the other thing too that people. Yeah, my of, entire reaction to that story was, "Oh, cool!" Like that. Yeah, know, yeah, like that. exactly. And I think the other the other kind of reaction to this is that people feel like Kotaku shouldn't have put this out in the public. That they're they're trying to say, "Hey, look at me! Look at us! We're the ones who do things the right way, and we're getting punished for it." And how do you feel about that? Eh, I mean, they have a point. Like it can come off as sort of martyrdom, but I would be more sympathetic to that viewpoint if it hadn't been a kind of a result of like where's your review where's your review where's your review and well, at some that could point, also be a convenient excuse it could but like i mean i read the thing and i, I didn't feel like it was like oh poor us i mean well, yeah, what it, it read like to me is that they're trying to convince these publishers to work with them they're yeah. i think they're trying to lay it out there bare so that people would see it and maybe raise an uproar over it because that's what happened with the, the Unity stuff. Right. Or actually, I think it was a PlayStation thing that they had done earlier. Yeah, it was Sony. Because Sony had went to cut them off because they had broken another story, a leak about some of Sony's games. Mm. And Crescente kind of wrote the same thing that Totillo did. And it actually worked. Like, Sony was like, oh, crap. Because people freaked out. And they're mm -hmm. like, oh, I can't believe you're doing this to them. And so Sony did relent and, like, started working with them again. And I, I think Totillo is hoping that the same thing will happen here. It doesn't seem to be. It does not seem to be at all. No. Yeah, because again, like, whereas the last time people were kind of behind them and rallied for them, like, it seems like this time people are like, I don't know, like, it. I'm surprised at the yeah. reaction to it. I don't know what changed there. Like, I don't really know, like, what the difference would be. You know, I don't have a theory on that, really. I don't know why people would suddenly be deciding, like, okay, maybe I guess everybody's accepted that, you know, gaming press should basically just be, like, a bunch of, like, extensions in the marketing departments, and that's that. I yeah. don't know. Because that's what a lot of it is, you know? You get, you're still dependent on 
and there's not that mature I guess maturity is what I'd call it that like exists in like the film industry where it's like you know you're you know the film film critics are still dependent on the movie production you know the studios to let them see the movies ahead of time to you know into the junkets and, and the press screenings and stuff and like but you can pan like a Paramount picture and like they're not going to not let you into the next one you know right. like, that's, that just doesn't exist like it's accepted that like you know there's going to be opinions some critics are not going to like our film yeah yeah and maybe part of that is because you know when you work in the movies your payment bonuses don't depend on the average of all the critics scores you're right you know there's a yeah. little there's a monetary interest in like the metacritic score at this point which, which is, is ridiculous, ridiculous. It's, <laughs> it shouldn't exist ridiculous um and like you know, maybe maybe that's part of it. Is like maybe that's why they're so hardline about you know these plans is because if this you know this stuff you know the critics kind of have them by the balls in that regard. So maybe there's a little you know animosity in that regard. But I don't have it you know because like people pan books and albums and movies and stuff, and you never hear about someone getting like you know unless they're like clearly out for it you know. Yeah. Like, but you don't hear like. Roger Ebert would not be not invited back if he had given a bad review to like a big tentpole picture, like you know, for a Sony picture. Like if he hated Spider-Man too, he wouldn't have been de-invited to all the Sony, you know, Sony Searchlight like indie movies for the rest of the year. It's like you want to it's know a what weird really situation because I don't. There's no equivalent in another media industry. You don't get yeah. blacklisted for reporting the news. You want to know what really bothered me the most out of all the reactions I saw is that on Facebook, and you know we're friends with a lot of industry people on Facebook, and a lot of the people who used to be journalists who have moved on to work with publishers were basically chastising Kotaku and saying, this is the way it is if you don't want to play ball. And I was like disgusted by that, man. I was like, you've completely I was very surprised. Forgotten where you've come from. Like, look. Some of the PR people who have been PR people all along jumped into that conversation and were like, yeah, yeah, I agree. Well, yeah, of course, you've always worked in PR. But to see some, and some of these journalists were people I respected back when they were journalists. We're jumping in there saying, yep, this is why your press is irrelevant now, and this is why we spend all our money on YouTubers. And I get why you spend all your money on YouTubers, because you can buy off their opinion. And so basically they're saying like... I can't wait for that story to really come to light one day. Oh, the truth the about it the all. The truth about right. how that all works. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, I know enough that it's disgusting. Mm -hmm. And, like, I don't know all the gritty details, but I know enough to know that there's all kinds of backhanded stuff going on. But, for instance, I went on Game Trailers on one of the last episodes of the bonus round they ever did, and there was a couple people on, on the show we were talking about the new media and YouTubers. And I was talking about how I was skeptical of it and how I felt like there was no checks and balances there. And people were getting away with all kinds of crap and nobody knew about it. And I was like chastised. It was very frustrating for me to sit there as somebody who, again, I hate to you know say, oh, I went to school for journalism, blah, blah, blah. I'm just saying like I was trained to operate this way as a journalist. And so to see all this crap going on, it's insane. Like I just feel like people who really try to do things the right way in this industry get squeezed out. When something like this happens where these people are doing their jobs and doing what the hell, the hell they're supposed to be doing, and they're getting chastised not only by the fans, which I can kind of understand because they don't get it. They've never went to school for journalism. They don't know what journalists are supposed to do. And truth be told, journalism across the board right now is kind of screwy. I mean, even if you look at places like CNN or whatever, like mm. there's all kinds of weird like infotorial stuff going on and advertorials and like. So I get that like the the person who's just watching this stuff may not understand how it's supposed to work. But like I said, seeing former journalists. So all of a sudden start piling on like I was like really like I was just shocked by it man it's um I mean it's I mean, on one hand I I mean I don't 
the way a lot of the people you're talking about said it was a little weird to me. Because on one hand, I kind of agree in the sense, like... I'm assuming you, know, you saw the same oh, yeah, thing that uh, I yeah. did. I saw the same things, I think. And, uh, but, like, you know, look, what, what most of what we do or what these outlets do in, in the game world, you know, it's mostly reviews. It's mostly, like, preview stuff. It's really consumer reports more than journalism. Yeah. So when you get into something that what Kotaku did here, which is journal, you know, like, there are, and there are real journal, you know, it's like Patrick Klepek really digs and finds stuff. I'd yeah. say what Keeley did with the final hours of series is real journalism, you know. Well, that's, I don't know that's journalist documentary. It's documentary yeah. work, but it's yeah. still kind of like a journalistic sort of pursuit, you know. Sure, sure. It's more than just, like, telling you whether the car runs well, you right, know. Right, right. And, um, you know, and there's, you know, because that's the thing is, like, I think, we're not really breaking the Watergate scandal here. I think you're yeah. looking at more of an industry... You know, you're looking at more of a Vanity Fair kind of thing, yeah. you know? Like, yes, or Entertainment Weekly, where it's like, yes, they're reporting news, they've got scoops, they've got stories, but it's also sort of in concert with the industry they're reporting on. And so when you get to these things where you start going directly against the wishes of these major companies, you know, I think that gets worked out in most other industries, but maybe this industry doesn't quite have that down yet. You know, that hasn't shaken out. Maybe this will catalyze that to some degree. But I kind of agree with what there's what you know what the people you're talking about said in the sense that like, look, Kotaku, if you decide that that's how you're going to do it, and I think there's a strong argument for that's how you should do it, uh, this could be a consequence, and you're going to have to live with that. And they have been living with it. You right. Know, they have that's been doing the, it. I think that's the other thing too that people forget is that Kotaku sat on all this for like two years. Yeah. It's not like they were just like all of a sudden like you know knee jerk reaction. Oh, mm. screw these people! I'm going to lambast them in public in one of our articles. Like they waited for the publishers who tried to come around and realize how yeah. ridiculous they were being. And I'm sure and like you know there was part of that. Where, Even like, that though, really, if you're talking about journalism, it's yeah. not a good practice. No. Like, <laughs> but like you know, I, I'm sh- you know I I get why they would say like okay, well, we'll just tell you what's happening because we're tired of making excuses for why we don't have Fallout. You know, because it was Fallout Four. You could be like, well, it's taken us a long time to play. You know, it right. took you a long time to play it too, and you it didn't. Did, have yeah. it. You know, you're not blacklisted. Yeah, and right. I got the copy a week before it yeah. came out. I but, just played it the hell out of it before so, I reviewed so it. So maybe there was an element of like, here's our here's our chance. But like, hey, after two years or whatever, like I can see them wanting to take. You know, hey, if there's a shot at you know clearing this air a little bit between our relationships with these companies, let's try it. And, and the problem is, is when you have the fans and ex journalists for that matter. Because look. P- the PR people who run PR for these companies are also friends with these former journalists on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And you better believe they went and read the same stuff that we read. Yeah. And so when they see people that, that were like us, who are now working in PR, and they're saying, no, you're doing the right thing, Bethesda and Ubisoft, well, then they're like, oh, okay. They're emboldened. And all of a sudden, they're like, well, there's no way we're going to count out of Kotaku now because... Ex-journalists are mm-hmm. saying that cutting them off is okay, and half of the fans are saying that cutting them off over this is okay, so we have nothing to lose. I just don't... I mean, the vast majority of people who buy Bethesda and Ubisoft's games don't even know those stories existed. Yeah. Like, you know, like no, they're, you're right. They're not... You know, I'm not trying to down... I'm not trying to say Kotaku's like an inconsequential, yeah. like, tiny little fish or whatever. Not I'm at just, all. I'm just saying, like, you know, like... Gamers are like that. You know, we're like that. I want to play what I want to play. And, yeah. like, while I may have opinions and whatever about what happens in the in the run-up to the release of a game, it rare, whatever I think rarely stops me from wanting to play the actual game. And, yeah. of course, the classic example is the, you know, the Steam shot, screenshot where it's, you know, the people in the boycott Modern Warfare 2 
uh, Steam group, and right, like, right. like they're all playing Modern Warfare Two <laughs> right. on the day it comes out. You know, like, I mean, you know, there's a point at which like we love games more than we love doing what's right. Principles, yeah. yeah it's just like, there's a, you'll, you'll, and, and I think one of our our later subjects in the Big Six gets to gets to a little bit of that. It does, At least it yeah. will for me. Like yeah. my story on that, but like. So, like, I see, I mean, I kind of, like, come down on both sides of this issue. Like, I think Kotaku, you know, if you had that information in your hands and you knew it was correct and you knew it was legit, like... You vetted your sources. You vetted it all. Like, you know, I don't know if, I don't know if I'd be able to resist, you know, publishing that. Oh, I, mean, I can tell you right now, if anybody ever gives me that information, we will run it. As soon as it's vetted, <laughs> we will run it. There will be no hesitation. There will no, be no thought about what repercussions there are. We and, will run the information. And from the other side, if I was you know, on the UB or Bethesda side, I, I would like to believe that my reaction would be to put my own house in order and prevent those leaks from happening again rather than publishing the people that simply report on it. Yeah, another thing that people retort with is like, well, it didn't hurt the sales of Fallout 4. Well, first of all, it may have hurt the sales of Syndicate. Syndicate's not sold that great. The other thing is you can't look at the sales of something and say it didn't hurt it. So it sold 5 million copies in a week. Well, maybe it would have sold 5.2 million copies in that week. Like, you can't just say because a game does well. And that's the thing I saw from a couple of the people who used to be journalists at a turn of the PR side. They were like, well, not hurting Fallout, so shove on off. We can give our money to the YouTube kids, and it'll mm. turn, turn up. Well, I think that argument cuts both ways, though. It's like, well, yeah, it didn't. Hurt Fallout, like I mean, you're saying, but you don't know that. But they're saying that in the sense like it didn't hurt Fallout to cut Kotaku out of the loop. But it's like, well, like Kotaku reporting that story apparently didn't hurt sales either. So it's like, it's like right. that that argument doesn't. No, that's a good point. Work, yeah. yeah, argument works both ways, so it doesn't really solve anything. And again, and again, you can't know. You can't you, know unless you know the alternate timeline sales in which that story never happened. I mean, Kotaku know? has. I mean, I don't even know what. I haven't looked at uh, their numbers in a long time. But I mean, they used to have like 10 million uniques a month. Like, if mm-hmm. you feel like them not covering your game during the launch window really doesn't have an impact when they have 10 million unique yeah. followers going there a month. And like, to be honest, when I bought Syndicate, I never, I didn't think, remember that Kotaku story. You know, yeah. all The only outcome of that Kotaku story was that I looked forward to that game a little few, couple months more, frankly. I mean, I was hoping that game was going to be good a few couple months earlier than I would have otherwise. And I get, like, I, the, the, the weird one for me are the people that are like, oh, I don't, it's spoilers. I don't want to know that but until it's presented to me professionally. That's what I want to bring up next, like, kind of just, more of a just, lighter angle. Like, how do you feel weird. about the, like, no, I want to see them present it to me instead of, like, it being given to me by Kotaku in a news story? That, I find that mildly dystopian. It's a little weird. <laughs> I, that's, like, that's, like, some, like, Blade Runner shit right there. That's, like... It's like yes, feed me your corporate wisdom, kind of. I, mean, I, I that's that's super strange. I to think me. it's like, in my opinion, it's like drinking the Kool Aid. Like you're yeah. done. Like yeah. you have been so conditioned by these publishers to just ingest it. How? No, mm. don't take a bite of that but, yet. You but it's also funny that like that. You know, and then some. I love it when that when people like get like that. But he goes, oh, if only official. Only like I want to know what official. But then sometimes something like like I don't know uh, if anyone saw the uh, the poster, the teaser poster went up for the new ser- season of Game of Thrones. Uh, yesterday, it has John Snow in it. Yeah, right? John Snow, and everyone's like, "Oh my God, spoilers!" I'm like, "It can't be spoilers if the marketing agency says that's what they want to show you." Yeah. Like that's, and, and so it's like, well, it's like, do you want the official presentation or not? Yeah. Like, because apparently sometimes it's it ruins it. They don't like that you know, either. It's, it's yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> like maybe we should just bind everyone's eyes and ears until it's time for the thing they like to come out. I don't know, but it's like, but I, I you know, so yeah, I think it's just. 
I think it's just that, like, if someone has any kind of mild problem with something, they're going to complain about it, and the internet lets you complain very efficiently into a large number of ears. Yeah. Whereas, like, if I don't have a problem with something like that, am I going to make a cut? No, I'm not. I'm just going to like move on. You know, yeah. like it's like you know the old adage in the old days of TV was like, for every com- every complaint, assume a hundred people feel the same way, and for every like praise, uh, assume a thousand people feel the same way, because yeah. you're more, much more likely to complain. To someone than you are to praise them. Here's the other. Here's the final angle before we move on of this that we haven't brought up yet is that what people don't realize, and I don't even know if, if Stephen mentioned this in his story, but when you get blacklisted, it's not just you're not getting review copies. We're not inviting you to our events. You're not. We're not going to you know give you quotes on any story you ask us about. They also cut off all the advertising to that publication. Mm. They cut off all the marketing money, all the advertising money. And when you're talking about a site as big as Kotaku. And publishers as big as Ubisoft and Bethesda, who spend hundreds of millions of dollars marketing each game, I mean, you're talking about a loss at yeah. Kotaku and Gawker of like millions of dollars. Yeah, and like the yeah, I've seen some people kind of say like, well, Ubisoft's a much bigger problem than Bethesda because Ubisoft puts out way more games. Like, but Bethesda editorially, it's editorially, a yeah. But also, I think average. I mean, Bethesda's ad campaigns for those games are big. Yeah, like that. You know, that's a big thing to get cut out of. Like that. You know, I can see why people are very reticent to you know wade into this subject because like if you if you're dependent on advertising from them, like yeah, you don't want to piss. And also, like you say, there's a lot of friends in this industry, and you don't want to piss off people you know that like maybe would expect you to agree with them or disagree right. with these people or to agree with those people. You know, it's a it's a minefield in in ways. Yeah, it's a it's a very complicated topic that yeah. has a lot of different angles to it, and a lot of it has to do with money, which we kind of only brought up there at the yeah. end. What do you think is going to happen? Nothing. Nothing. I think because <laughs> of the response to the fans, I think they may have just attacked another year onto their blacklist. To be mm. honest with you, I think it's probably not going to work out the way that Stephen had hoped it would, um, which is a shame. Uh, but at the same time, you know what? It's just going to embolden Stephen to keep doing what he's been doing. Yeah. I mean. You know, they got a lot. Of, they, it's almost like the number, the amount of traffic that they got when they leaked those stories is so astronomical that it's almost worth like the end result. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure the people who work in marketing at Gawker and sales at Gawker probably don't agree with that because they probably missed a quota here or there on a couple of their quarters because uh, of the lack of marketing and sales money. I hope there's a, a separation of church and state there so that Stephen Totillo isn't dealing with like. The marketing and salespeople coming to him being like, dude, I like, think considering what some of the other like Gawker sites do, I would think there would have to be. Yeah. But, you know, you don't know how that stuff works if you True. don't work there and I just assume some of the stuff I've read on Deadspin, I'm like, wow, they must really not be beholden to the advertising department. Yeah, yeah, I think you may be right. <laughs> but again, who knows if that's the same across each I'm assuming site. they would have one blanket editorial policy across all their editorial. That's typically how it works yeah. um, when you're working at a company like that. Like they're not just going to protect one guy and not protect another guy or one publication mm-hmm. and not another. Yeah. So but we don't know. For we sure. don't know for sure. Yeah, I mean, I'm just assuming based upon mm-hmm. my experience working in the industry and just you know yeah. that would make sense. It's just we. I think you and I have both learned over the years never assume the thing that makes sense is actually yeah. what's happening. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, what I would say to you, sifters, is like seriously think about it. Like it. Allowing these publishers to control the publications and allowing these publishers to control you. Because if you're saying that, like, you side with these with, with these publishers, like, you're basically saying that, like, I've drank the Kool-Aid. I'm yours. Like, 
it's bad business to basically you're you're stifling free press i mean that's really what it comes down to mm-hmm. and if if you stifle free press and these publishers can get away with whatever they want and no one's ever going to report on it i mean just the fact that we're talking about this on game face is a big deal like no one else has talked about this all week and that's what you're going to get on this show you know we it's a there's a big difference because see we don't have that problem where we have to worry about like oh if we say this is ubisoft going to cut off our sales and marketing like why is nobody talking about this matt i think for that reason exactly i mean this is the advantage of a subscription site is we can talk about things like this and not have to worry about like our revenue going away so and ubisoft can't see us right (laughs) (laughs) oh i know there are people from ubisoft that are on uh sifted for a fact so uh, they probably will see this but at the same time what repercussions do they have really I don't know. I mean, we didn't do, we didn't report anything. We no. just have opinions. We have opinions, and it's not like they're giving us money for advertising. I mean, that is the one really nice thing about working on Sifted is that I don't, you don't have to kind of live with that in the back of your mind. And like, even at all the other places I never worked, and I know you've never had it happen, and I never did either, where anyone came to me and said, "Hey, you can't say that," because no. you still have it though in the back of your mind. Mm-hmm. Like, what if? What happens if I do this, and then this happens, and then there were a couple of. It was, I think there were a few few times where we're like, "What?" A couple yeah. things happened, but they weren't like anything on this level. Well, no one ever came to me from inside the company. Not inside the company. No. Yeah. So there, there, there have been some some shady. Uh, hey, don't review this if you don't have to. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, we've had like, and those are usually straight from developers, right? right. <laughs> because there were, we like we worked on X Play. Our mantra there was uh, firm but fair. That's how we handled mm-hmm. our reviews. And you know, certain developers would be like, "Oh man, if X Play gets a hold of this, because we do skits and, and sketches yeah. around it and." really kind of pound the point home at times. And so, yeah, we did have a couple developers reach out to us and be like, hey, like, maybe yeah. don't review our game. And if you look back at, I mean, I don't know how you would look back at those old episodes because, yeah. I mean, you know, maybe there's are lost on in YouTube. internet space, yeah. But, like, uh, if you look back or you think back, if you can remember some games that we really hit hard that we didn't like on X, the old X-Play, especially, like, San Francisco-era X-Play, um... Three guesses why we hit that extra hard. <laughs> we probably got a phone call or two. Yeah, I mean, I typically don't change my coverage at all based upon any of this no. crap. I just evaluate the product, but, you know, I was... Like, they didn't change the review, but it might influence a skit that, a goes, with, a little bit. that goes with the review Right, exactly. Like That's that. a good way of putting it. So, anyway... Like, it's something we might have normally just let go. It's like, here's the review. There we go. Like, we might, hey, why don't we talk about this for another five minutes, huh? You know, yeah. so... But I never had anybody come to me at Tech TV or G4. No, and, never anything like that. But, you know, it's still, though, as someone who runs editorial, you do have We were kind accused of that. of that all the time. Oh, yeah, of course. You're no, accused of it every no, day. But <laughs> nothing like that ever happened. But you do have that little thing in the back of your mind of what if. And, yeah. you know, you may think that it doesn't affect you in any way. Maybe it doesn't, but maybe it does. Subconsciously, it affects how you operate. I don't know. But I'm just, no, I'm glad to be in a place right now where I don't have to worry yeah. about any of that crap. I don't think, that, I mean... I'm too much of a dick for that to affect it. I'm, like, I'm I get, you know, that's like I used to say where people are like, oh, they get to go to these events and go to this thing and this thing. I'm like, uh, all that, you know, I, I do, I did enjoy going to a lot, you know, junket stuff and that, you know, it's fun and I, you know, I'm friends with some of those people and I do enjoy seeing them and hanging out and playing yeah. the games and stuff. But all that still doesn't make up for having to play like a 30-hour shitty game. It doesn't. Like in the end, like I'm <laughs> going to be way angrier that I had to spend that time playing that game than I am going to be happy that I did anything fun yeah, beforehand. So, exactly. you know, in the end, it still comes down to you got you to sit in front of that monitor or that TV or that handheld and play that shitty game, and I'm going to tell you that I did not have a good time yeah. in the end. All right, so it's time to move on to the next topic. So... Thanksgiving is coming up in a couple days, and we used to do this on Invisible Walls back in the day on GT, and I felt like it's a good idea to bring it over to Game Face as well. So we're going to name 
Both of us are going to name a turkey. Mm. The 2015 gaming turkey. Matt, what from this year would you call a big fat turkey? Well, um, this could change based on you know the future, and some people will be shocked to hear me say this, but my pick for turkey right now is Star Wars Battlefront. What? <laughs> After all because the things you said about that game on this show. I am about 20-some hours into this thing. I'm level 39, uh, and like I have never seen technical problems in an online shooter on this level. I, it, like, a shocking... You know, there's always going to be hiccups in any online game, but I, a shocking number of times I have seen this game, like... Where clearly what I'm seeing on my screen is not what the other people are seeing on their screen, both in my favor and against my favor. Now, Matt, this does happen in shooters all the time. It does, like, but this is like... Call of Duty does that. Like, you run out, you get shot. You shot the guy a couple of times, even got hit markers, maybe. Mm-hmm. Then you watch his replay. He never got shot at all. Well, Battlefront is smart enough to never have a replay. Right. So you never <laughs> quite know what's happening. But we've yeah. seen some... Just, like, it's very sketchy and... Uh, and, you know, there's, and there's people that are starting to starting to you know because it's hard to call things like this out because like you're afraid everyone's gonna be like, hey noob, get good, you know? Right, like, you just suck. I've, I've been yeah. playing this a long time. I do have a positive kill death ratio in the game. It's not very positive. It's only like 1.3, but it's like you know I'm doing okay. You're not getting your butt. I'm not getting game. destroyed, yeah. but I am seeing stuff that is weird, and I'm seeing it like not like you know oh a few times a night like any other normal shooter I played like when like Halo Five yeah. which we just came off of. I'm seeing it like. Three, four times a match. Wow! You know, and it's just like the other night, I was we were playing, uh, I think, uh, drop pod on Tatooine, and and six guys of the enemy team all together, like in twos, they all came around the corner through the doorway, and I killed every single one of them, and they never fired a shot. Oh, Does that man. sound right to you? No, no. Clearly, they did not see what was happening as I was seeing what was happening. Yeah, the, the top they were basically one, getting killed before they even saw yeah, you. Yeah, they were, and I've had that happen where I die before I even come around the corner. Yeah, you know, it's, it just it's. You know, the, the game is... The latency is bad. The latency is weird, and some you know someone has the advantage and someone doesn't. Sometimes it's you, sometimes... And that's the other problem, is like, I'm not as big a shooter person as you are, but when I do play them, I play to be good at them. Yeah, yeah, of course. And I don't know if I'm good at this game right now. <laughs> I'm, I don't know if I'm good or if I'm just, like, constantly getting in matches where I, I'm screwing the other people because they can't see me Right, anymore. right. And, like, I'm playing with one of my friends I've played with online for 15 years, and, you know, he's having the same problems. I'm seeing, like, weird things with him, and we're seeing weird things with other people. And my favorite thing that happened uh, so far is... This is a huge about face, by the way, Matt. It is. But I like, mean, for there's you. A great, there is a fun <laughs> game in this somewhere, but it's buried under all this weird, like, technical hiccup problems. And I think, you know, it's actually gotten better. Like, the, like the last couple of days have been better than the first few days yeah. of the game. Netcode so is something that can always be yeah, fixed. Yeah, so I think they're slowly kind of figuring it out and getting and improving the servers or whatever's happening. It's, it's, it's slowly getting better. Where our, you know, everything is less frustrating, but it's still happening pretty often. And... Um, it was a couple nights ago, we were on Walker Assault. It was the last push where the walkers were coming down the last stretch, and so we're the rebels, we're in the trenches, shooting guys and whatever, and all of a sudden Darth Vader's coming from the right. Yeah. So my friend and I turn and just unload on Vader, and his life bar's going down. I'm like, oh, I think we're going to kill him before he gets to us. Like, we're going yeah. to pull this off, and all of a sudden my character just goes up in the air because he force chokes me. Right. So I'm hanging in the air, and my friend keeps shooting and kills him. Like he, and, and, and he drops me, and I don't die. I don't die from the force choke because he didn't finish it. So right. I drop. I'm like, oh, he saved my ass. And my friend's like, I need to go to the tape on that one. Hang on. And like, so later he sends me a screenshot, and it's a shot from his point of view. 
I'm hanging, my character is hanging in midair with a little partner dot over him, like over on the left side, and he's shooting, his, a gun is shooting, Vader's head is lit up in fire, and it says, my gamer tag, Matt has defeated Darth Vader. <laughs> I'm hanging in midair, choking to death, and I defeated Darth wow. Vader. So that's the kind of latency problems you're seeing. And it, that took like five, six seconds I was hanging up there. You wow. Know? So like, it, it, that's the kind of stuff you're dealing with, and it's just, you never quite know whether you're playing the same game as everyone else, yeah, and it, you know, and it's it's really irritating and frustrating. And then like you got, well, you got to realize this game is all built around this. Like, yeah, it's all competitive. Shooting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we can't go like go. Let's just go play the campaign right. instead because <laughs> there's nothing else to play. Yeah, you know? exactly. And the spawning is crazy. And like you know, I've seen people, I've seen enemy soldiers spawn in front of me next to each other, oh like my just God. boing boing face to face. And the great thing is, because you constantly change between Rebel and Imperial, yeah. so it's a Rebel soldier, I was a Rebel, Rebel appears in front of me, Stormtrooper appears right in front of him, and they both look at each other for a second, because you aren't like, <laughs> oh, maybe I'm on the Imperial side. Like, like they weren't sure which side they were on for a yeah. second, because somebody spawned right yeah, there, yeah. And, I, and all of a sudden they're like, ah! <laughs> yeah, and oh everybody my just gosh. like, oh, and it's like, and the smaller, obviously, you know, it always happens, but the smaller the map's the worse. And of course it does this thing where like, I guess, to, it, I think it's intentional, where like, in order to prevent the map getting locked down, it will start spawning guys behind you. Yeah. And like, it's just, it's so blatant. It's so, and like, so there's just little elements that have that. And like, there was a thing where I, you know, you get challenges in the game, which let you, um, you know, you get extra XP. So my challenge was win three droid run matches. We went and played droid run. And we lost three matches in a row, and they all counted as wins. <laughs> we got the XP at the end of the match for a win, and they all counted in my challenge. I got the challenge this off three losses. This game sounds like it's a mess, Matt. It kind of is. I mean, look, this was your most anticipated game. I remember somebody asked, asked us that at the end of, the, of one of the episodes we did a few weeks ago. And I think I said Fallout 4, mm. and you said it was like Fallout 4, maybe Battlefront. Yeah, and Battlefront, And I mean, so for you to change face on this game that drastically... I think you know, if when it works, I love it, but it hasn't really been working very regularly. You know, it's, it's not constant. I haven't seen anybody mention this stuff, Matt, at all. Slowly, people are starting to talk about it on forum. I think there's a big reticence to say so because people are afraid they're gonna, they're, you know, that they're just gonna think you suck. And all I'm right. like, I don't suck. I'm always in the, top, you know, almost always in the top half, usually top three. I mean, I'm not sucking at this game, but I'm just constantly seeing stuff that like. It's just not what happened. It's and I'm, you know and, I, and it irritates me. And I have to. I've had to kind of let go of the idea that I'm trying to be really good at the game. Yeah. Because otherwise, I'll just get frustrated. You're and turn get, your brain off and just you know, enjoy it. The first few days, there was a lot of screaming. You know, yeah. And, and from both sides, you know, my headset really went through the paces with right. my friend screaming <laughs> too. You know, and he's better at shooters than I am for the most part. He's you know when we play, usually I'm like th number three and he's like number one. You right. know, and he was like bottom. Like wow. he was like that'll not, piss you off. And he, and you know and and as this. As things have improved, you know, both because like we've learned the game better, but also because like I've, I'm seeing less of that stuff as each day. So they're right. they're working on it. Yeah. Clearly, they're working on it. But stuff like where you know, wins are losses. That's, like that's just how do you get that one and zero wrong? You know, <laughs> yeah. it was and it went on for like five matches. Like oh it just kept God. going. And, and so, so yeah, stuff like that has just been. I mean, this is a game that I really want to love and I want to play. I, I want to play all the expansion packs. I want to. I want to really. Immerse myself, and it's just not. I wonder if this game's gonna last until all the expansions. Hard come to out. say. And also, I know they do the whole battle, fan, you know, Star Wars Battle Fantasy. Da, da, da. My Star Wars Battle Fantasies don't really contain quite that much grenade spam. Yeah. Okay. Like, <laughs> I don't. The only thing I've seen too is that like embargo scores pretty high, and then mm -hmm. you know, as slowly 
some of the reviews are starting to trickle in from some of the smaller sites who maybe didn't get to play the game yeah. like two weeks in advance or weren't invited to the review event. You're just starting to see these reviews just go down, down, mm -hmm. down. Like I think I saw one today that gave it like a 5.5 or a 6. Yeah. Well, Vice put up a, a, a it was an opinion piece, but it was called Star Wars Battlefront is not a very good game. Yeah. And it, and he cited a lot of the you know a lot of the issues uh, he cited were more like the shallowness of the content and the lack of you know the, a lot of the modes do feel a little uh, not you know I feel like there probably needed to be a second pass on a lot of those modes where it's like well like how come in Droid Run if we're ahead three to two. If, some, if the other droid is starting to be captured and the timer runs out, you still the timer goes in a kind of overtime and lets that other droid be captured, um, even though it leads to a draw. Like, why don't we just win? Why don't the right. winning team should just win yeah. when you have more points than the other team when the time <laughs> runs out? You know, like, why do you, like, let give a grace period for a draw? It's very weird. Yeah. Like, why does the hero hunt thing, like, why is it kill steal the mode as opposed to, like, percentage of damage? Like, why... You know, it's just things where like it feels like no one ever had a meeting to sit down and say, "Hey, do these things play well?" Because like, we don't really, you know. They're like, oh, "Who cares? Let's get it." I mean, I'm sure they're versus Tie Fighter. It's all good. I'm sure they were under crazy time crunch, and I bet the, yeah. you know. But I think there's a lot of balancing needs to be done. I think. Well, they also didn't allow those modes to be a part of the beta. True. True. Like Which the, probably would have helped. Yeah, I mean, the, I mean the the drop pod and they probably the, didn't want uh, a bunch of negative criticism coming from the beta. So I mean, I mean drop pod and um, and Walker Salt are definitely the two most solid modes in the game. Yeah, um, probably surprise, no, surprise. no coincidence. Yeah. yeah, and I think most people are playing Supremacy and Walker Salt. That's the thing is the two forty player modes are by far the most played. I'm playing on PS4, by the way. So yeah, like, yeah, maybe, yeah, you should know. definitely let everyone yeah, know that. So, like, maybe that's not the same on Xbox One or, or, or PC. PC. Yeah, I do have the PC version, but I'm like, I haven't played it as much. No, because you've um, already built up your character on yeah. PlayStation Four. I have the PC version mainly because it's gorgeous, and I want to look at it. Yeah, you know? yeah. And now that new mod just came out that oh makes it like gosh. super crazy. <laughs> I'm just like, ridiculous. oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like, that's the thing. It's like I think that game makes a really good first impression, and it's yeah. not until like you know you you know I've spent, you actually play it. Yeah, I've, spent, I've played it every, almost every night for since it came out and for hours at a time, uh, and I'm like. Uh, at this point, you, you know, is that you start to dig into it, and the, and the kind of the, the new thrill wears off, and you're kind of like, wait a minute, some of this shit doesn't work right. You this know? is a point where we should go and we should rewind back to like episode 27 or 26 after I played the beta, and I said all of this. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't think you said, said all it. that. You well, didn't, I didn't you say didn't all, all the technical bugs, but, but I the said beta this... ran great. But I said that this game was not going to have legs and that people were going to get sick of it really quickly. And people... I would not be sick of this game if it worked properly. Yeah. But everybody I... else is. And no one's complaining about it not working. Well, that's because they haven't. They stopped playing it, I guess. I yeah. I mean, <laughs> Could be. <laughs> I mean, I, I admit, Good even... Point. I mean, PS4, I think it was something like more people are playing the PS4 version than the other than the Xbox One and PC versions combined. Right, yeah. Um, but here's... That probably isn't helping with the latency. Right. Yeah. But I'm already seeing... You know, we're already having some trouble getting into some of the smaller modes. Everybody's playing Walker Assault and uh, Supremacy, the 240-player modes, yeah. and not not as many people by any means are playing. You know, there's no player counts on each mode, but it's clear just how long. It, you know, because it does that thing where it's like it'll drop you in a match, or they'll be oh looking for 80% full, looking right. for 70% full, looking right. for 40% full. Looking for anybody, starting anyone <laughs> who's out there. Bueller and like you know the Walker Assault and Supremacy is like boom, you're in. The other ones you got to sit and wait a little bit. And yeah. that, it wasn't like that before. So and the other thing is like the things I'm talking about because people have stopped playing. Right. The, the things I'm talking about here with like the technical hiccups and all that, like much easier to notice in the smaller modes. Sure, sure. And yeah. and actually, so are the things you talked about about you know kind of the shallowness of the content. Um, and again, the expansion packs could help that. You know, the patches and balance could help. I mean. Will people still be around? That's a good question. Because look, um, 
I'm already a little tired of so many of these matches devolving into just thermal detonators flying everywhere. I mean, yeah. it's like, that's just not what I mean, I'm a lot of for. people will get the game for Christmas, so it should get a yeah. nice little resurgence. Hopefully they can get it up to scratch by then so that all the people who join the fray at that point won't be turned off by the game. Yeah, I would think so, but like... You know, like, you know, back in my they got in, a month. In the ba- yeah, they got a month, but also in the back of my head is like, how long did it take to get Battlefront Four work? I mean, did they ever get Battlefront Four working? I mean, I stopped playing that after yeah. like a, after like three weeks. Battlefield Four, you mean? Battlefield Four, yeah. yeah. And yeah, you had to make another. They game did eventually. The I mean, Battlefield Four now is actually a really good game that has a very dedicated group of people playing it who were the few people who were patient enough to yeah. stick with it. So. Well, I mean, that might end up being me on Battlefront could Circa be. Expansion 4. You could 4. be that guy. I could be that guy. <laughs> um, I already bought the season pass because I'm an oh, idiot. Oh, no. So, um, but like, you know, Lesson learned, Sifter C. Don't buy the season pass. Yeah, well, it's, it, the other thing about the Vice article was about how Star Wars is just kind of this scary like delivery of content method yeah. where people are just like, yes, please feed me more Star Wars. And like, that. yeah, that's me to some yeah. degree, you know. I'll I'll be that you know I've resisted the Force Awakens action figures and all that I haven't bought any of that stuff because wow. I'm like well because I'm like what if I don't like it a little willpower what oh, if yeah. I don't like it and you have like a Jar Jar Binks yeah where it's like yeah it's like what if, you know Kylo oh Kylo Ren looks so cool what if I hate Kylo Ren what right. if I think he's stupid yeah. what if I don't like him and like so well I, you can just keep the stuff and sell it twenty years later true but uh, for, well yeah for like five cents yeah I mean, that's pretty much the value yeah, of that stuff everyone now. collects it but like you know so. But with Battlefront, it's all stuff I know I like because it's the original trilogy, and I'm right. like, well, like you know, and like it's really pretty, and I love that I can run around as a Zabrak rebel soldier, and like it's you know, there's a lot of cool stuff in it. But like, it's just I, you know, I'm, I'm at this point where I just don't trust it anymore. Yeah. Because I'm like, is the next guy who comes around the corner? Are we going to see each other the way we see each? Right. Other? I see him and he sees me, or is it no, going to be like how you play? And, yeah, yeah. I just don't know anymore. And so now, and like now, like we're kind of adjusting to it and kind of. Playing like dicks, you know, we're like sitting behind crates and waiting for people to run in you're front of camping, us, and like camping yeah. people, you know. And there's no other way to really ensure because if you run and gun it, you're you gonna die. Let, you die. Yeah, a lot of people play Call of Duty like that too, not because of latency. Well, yeah, because it is effective. <laughs> but in this yeah. case, it's effective in a way that if you if it if it is off and you miss, you don't die. Right. You right. just miss, yeah, and the yeah. guy keeps running. Yeah, know? exactly. So, so that's it. 2015 Turkey for you. Star Wars Battlefront. Right now, mainly in large part because I was anticipating it yeah. so much. Like I'm, I'm angry about it. Yeah, you know, I, I'm, there's been a lot of swearing. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> well, hopefully it gets better over the next. I month hope or so. so. I mean, that's what I say. Is like you know, by the end of the year, or by you know, next June, maybe I w- won't be willing to call it that. Yeah. But for now, I my only reaction to Battlefront is like, it's beautiful. Please fix your shit. All right. So my 2015 gaming turkey is. The Order 1886, PlayStation 4 exclusive action adventure, although I use the word action very loosely when talking about that game. To me, The Order 1886 is is everything that's wrong with early software on a platform. It's all flash and no substance. It It's five hours long. It literally... It really felt like a launch title. Yeah, it literally checks every box of shoddy launch cash-in. Beautiful graphics? Check. Short amount of time to play it and finish it? Check. Derivative gameplay? Check. No reason to go back and play it again? Check. You didn't go back and get all the collectibles? No. I I can. The funny part was, if it weren't for the story in this game, which actually was the only semi-redeeming part of the game... I barely could make it through the five hours playing this game. It, I literally felt like I was playing a game from, like, the first two years of the Xbox 360, which really is what it was because 
it was like a Gears of War ripoff before Gears of War actually added some depth to its gameplay. Like it was a Kill Switch ripoff. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> or a Winback ripoff. Winback ripoff. Yeah. <laughs> so. I was just, you know, and here's the other thing that really bothered me about this game, Matt, is that the marketing for this game, like, they hid this game very well. Like, they never really let the press play the game. Like, they show you all these cinematic trailers that never showed off the gameplay, despite it was a lot like Rainbow Six Siege with the campaign, where you'd ask them, so what's the gameplay like? We'll be like, well, you know, there's a story, and you know, there's this group of extraordinary gentlemen. Like, I mean, that's really what the game was, right? League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. I just... It's, I feel like a lot of people got hoodwinked into buying it because of the graphics, because that's what a lot of people do. When they buy a new console, they want that yeah, game that w- shows you, off the visuals. You want to see like, it work. And these publishers know this, and they prey on it. And I feel like just the game was manipulative, the marketing was manipulative, the way the PR was done was manipulative. A lot of people got duped into playing this god-awful game that they could have sat and watched someone else play on YouTube in, like, three hours. Like, this is a case of a game... That was made for like let's plays. Like, yeah, I would never never begrudge somebody for watching the order on YouTube instead of playing it themselves. Which a lot of times I'm like, just play it yourself. But not with this game. Like, I would totally get not wanting to spend not to mention a full price game. I might add, this yeah. wasn't a budget title. They didn't give you this for forty bucks or fifty bucks. Like, this is a fully priced game. It, it, I just it, it just bothered me. The game isn't good. The way they handled it wasn't good. I just, it's my biggest turkey of the year. And, you know, I, you were saying about how you anticipated Battlefront a lot, and that's what really pissed you off. Well, the thing about this was I didn't even anticipate it that much, and it still mm. bothers me that much. So I forgot it came out this year until you just mentioned it. Yeah. So It's my biggest gaming turkey for 2015. I can't see anything coming out after this that would trump it. You never know. You never know, but, like, that's... It seems like a pretty safe bet. There's not a whole lot left. There's Xenoblade Chronicles X, which I'm playing already, so I kind of know what's up with that. There's Just, Just Cause, Cause 3. Just Cause 3 better be better than that. Yeah, I would hope. Yeah. I mean, just today they released the first hour of Just Cause 3. The the studio did mm. that made the game Avalanche, and already I just watching the first hour of that, I can already tell. <laughs> You're having more fun than with the order. <laughs> They're playing the order, so. I have not actually played the. I played the order at uh, E3 last year, but I had. I have not actually played the final version. Well, it's uh, like a because I'm waiting for it to be 1886. Yeah, exactly. As far as how much you pay <laughs> yes, for it, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> That's about the price that it probably I would recommend somebody picking it up. Maybe even yeah. less. If there's like some like really good like Black Friday deals for that game, I might pick it up for that. The other thing too is I really haven't seen a lot of deals on this game. Like it's still pretty much selling for full it price. It kind of came and went, and like you know, if you if a store still has it, they seem to still at least want forty nine for it. Yeah. So I would not spend forty nine ninety nine on this game. I would not do it. Ten so, bucks an hour is a little much. Yeah. And uh, you know the other funny part too is when the reviews first started coming out for the game, and like you could see like the fans like saying you're crazy, you don't know what you're talking mm-hmm. about. Like it looks so awesome, and then eventually it does look awesome. Yeah, it looks great visually. But like I, I don't know. I mean, I guess I I played it early. Well, the other part so of it too is like, that the game is windowed. Right. With so, the, like the, the yeah no it's cinematic. Right. No they. <laughs> the really game looked that good, they had to window right. it so the frame rate wouldn't completely bottom out. So it does look great. I mean, technically, it looks great, yeah. but it, there's just again, it's like I said. When I'm when still I first... a little shocked that anybody expected it to be anything other than what it was. Well, like, it actually, seemed pretty obvious when you watch, even just when you watch footage of it originally. It was like, yeah, this is kind of a stop and pop shooter. 
Like, the, but we didn't the, even know it was like a stop and pop shooter. Like, we really yeah, had didn't really no idea how it played like at all until it came out. And not only was it a stop and pop shooter, it had like the worst cover system like of <laughs> any game in that genre. So, yeah, that's my turkey for 2015, the Order 1886. It'd be interesting to see if there's an Order 2 or the Order 1995 or whatever the hell they'll call it, but. I'd be surprised if they do. It did not sell very well. Yeah, I feel like we're probably not going to get it. Although, the end of that game... I mean, again, that game, just like so many other games I've complained about, it's it's an act one masquerading as a full story. Like, right. the, the, like the thing that happens at the end of Order 60, 1866 is like... 1886? Change your title. 1886 <laughs> is like... Is like like the end of that, I was like, oh, that's a setup for a pretty good story, an interesting yeah. story. And it's like, oh, it's over. No, no, that's the end of the game, Matt. It's like, it's <laughs> like we, we spent a whole game setting up to tell you this one, tell you like the sequel. Yeah, exactly. That you're never going to get to make, probably. That's so. storytelling in game for you, though. Yeah. All right, so it's time to move on to the next topic of the big six. This one digs a little bit deeper into the psyche of playing games. We're going to talk about feeling guilty while playing games. And there's kind of two angles of feeling guilty while playing games. There's, and the one we're not gonna talk about is the guilt that you feel because you're spending your time playing games when you should be doing something else. Hmm. <laughs> there's a lot of people that feel that way. And I think a lot of people, as they get older, the propensity for feeling that way is increased. As you get more responsibilities, mm. maybe somebody has a kid or they get married. Some people just freak out. And they're like, oh, I'm too old to be playing games. I'll never feel that way. Um, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking mm-hmm. about actually playing a game and being placed into a moral quandary that makes you feel uncomfortable about what you're doing in the game. So, Matt, what is a game that made you feel guilty while playing? It? <laughs> well, this this story isn't re- is a re- actually kind of not quite that. Okay. But um, the the first game I'm going to talk about is RoboCop for the Apple IIe. Okay. Way back in the day. <laughs> wow. That Which is a blast is a, from the it, past. Was, it was a, a very very bad por- conversion of the arcade game. If anyone remembers the Data East arcade game yeah. for the Apple IIe, but I got it, and uh, I don't remember what happened. But like one of the one of the various like punishment methods that my parents used when I was a kid was they would take my new thing away from me for a period of time. That's pretty typical. Yeah. So whatever I did, I probably came home late. Breaking curfew was like mortal sin in my house, and I did that all the damn time because I didn't want to come home. Right. Because I was having fun. Want to run out? And, and um, fun, yeah. so I, it, the RoboCop got taken away. The thing was, I knew where my mom hid stuff. When she took it so away. So I went at one point when I knew no one was around. I went and I opened the box and I took the disc out and I just left the box where it was. Put another disc in, a blank disc, because they didn't know anything about computers. Right, right. So I did it and I would just go and play it. So I would play the game quietly in my room. When I wasn't supposed to have it, and so that was my, the guiltiest I've ever felt playing a game was I was playing illicitly playing a terrible RoboCop game on my Apple IIe. Interesting. Okay. Well, my first. Congrats pick... on getting footage of that. Yeah, by the yeah. Way. <laughs> you said I wouldn't be able to find any, and I found like, some. I love. I love. It's like, and like when you see that, you can see it's like that's what I like violated like the family trust to do was to play that piece of shit. That's how much you love games, though. Yeah. You remember what I said about like you know the principles don't matter. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. you want to play the game. Right. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> All right. So your story's kind of fun. My story's not quite as fun. So. <laughs> My first game that I'm going to talk about is Grand Theft Auto 3. So, just a little bit of a background on on when that game came out and where I was when it came out. So, I went to college in Philadelphia at Temple, and Temple is in North Philadelphia. In fact, it looks a whole lot like what you're seeing right on the screen <laughs> right now. 
North Philadelphia is a terrible neighborhood, literally like one of the worst neighborhoods in the country. And Temple was plunked down right in the middle of some of the worst parts of North Philadelphia. I mean, literally, you have this beautiful college campus that's been around for like 200 mm -hmm. years. And right next to it, you have projects. Like, is that literally, where you're from? Or? Well, no, that's just where I went to college. Oh, not North Philadelphia, born and raised. No, no, definitely not. <laughs> And uh, so the neighborhood's really bad. Like, literally, I would be walking to class, and I would see people come running out of the neighborhoods, snatch girls' backpacks off their back, and then run back into the neighborhood. And once they run back in there, you're like, I'm not going in there. Like, I mean, literally, <laughs> it's, like, that bad. Like, you look at, like, the outside of the campus like a jungle. Like, it was, like, you don't go in there. Like, it was that bad. And, you know, there's just cars on blocks and just people selling drugs on the corners, and it's awful. So I was living... Not on campus, we had just moved out of the dorms, but like two guys that I had met in the dorms, we had gotten an apartment basically on campus, but it was like technically like half a block off campus. And it was Friday night one night and we were all going over to my buddy's house, but one of our roommates was going on a date. And so he says, I'm going to the ATM machine to go get money and the rest of us go get in a car and we leave. Well, he walks to the ATM machine, gets mugged and killed. So. So, you know, my opinion of, like, street crime and everything, like, was, I was pretty on edge about it. And, you know, he was, like, our best, our best friend. And he was, like, mugged and killed. And he literally, like, made it back to in front of our apartment complex before they mugged him. And he died, like, right in front of our apartment complex. So, I finish school. I graduate. I, you know, get a job at GameSpot. And uh, just moved all the way to San Francisco from Philadelphia, which is a culture shock. And obviously a huge improvement compared to North Philadelphia. Mm. And uh, I, I start the, working... The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air should have prepared you for that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so I start working at uh, GameSpot. And right around the time after I start working there, this game comes into the office. And when we were working there, I used to work with uh, Ryan Davis and Jeff Gersman and Ryan McDonald. Really, the whole OG like GameSpot crew. And those guys loved this game. Like, for whatever reason, like they had kind of, kind of caught wind of it before everybody else. And so Rockstar and DMA, or XDMA, had kind of hooked them up with like an early copy of the game. And I was sitting there like watching it over their shoulders. And I just, it just completely disgusted me. Because what I had just gone through, and I knew what real street crime was, and what it's like to deal with street crime. And so to see this game that was like glorifying what had just happened to my friend, like it disgusted me. And and so a lot of people will say, well, you're okay with Grand Theft Auto now. Well, the difference between that Grand Theft Auto and the Grand Theft Auto's now is that that Grand Theft Auto, there's no tongue-in-cheek to it at all. It is like... Not outside of the radio. Nope. There's this faceless, stone-cold killer. That's who mm -hmm. you play as. There's no levity to it. There's no comedy to it. You never see any side of this guy other than him being a scumbag, basically. And so I never could... And he doesn't talk. He doesn't talk. Like, and he's just, like, this guy that just goes from one, like, murder scene to the next. Like, I just... It just crushed me. I could, And, you know, Jeff and Ryan loved it and were all over it. And, like, I honestly couldn't even bring myself to play it. Like, that's where I kind of was mentally at that point in time. So eventually, like, we had to have our Game of the Year, like, conversations. And, like, they're already saying, like, look, like, this is going to be our Game of the Year. And, like, I hadn't really brought up, like, how it was affecting me. And I didn't really want to tell anybody what had happened to me with my friend because, you know, I just moved to a new city and I don't want to think, oh, there's Shane, like, the mopey guy whose friend was killed or whatever. So I had to, like, kind of kept <laughs> it all. Are they that in. kind of dicks? No, <laughs> but, 
<laughs> like that's not that's not how I would have reacted. I'm just saying, when you're trying to make friends, you don't want people to look at you like you've had this crazy bad thing happen to you that mm. may make you a negative person or not be fun to hang out with. I guess is the best way mm. to put it. I didn't want them to think that I was gonna be like a Debbie Downer person to hang out with. All my friends die. Yeah, and it was like it wasn't Jeff yeah. or Ryan's fault or anything. It was just me internalizing it and saying, right. well, I don't want people to think that like I'm gonna be no fun to hang out with and like maybe they won't invite me because you want to make friends. You know, you're in a new city, you don't know anybody, so. So Grand Theft Auto 3, it's like, okay, they're like, look, you know, this is our game of the year. Like, so everybody needs to go play this because we have a game, an initial game of the year meeting where everyone kind of talks about what their, you know, what their nominees are. And so I played it. I had to play it. I felt like I had to bite the bullet and just for my job to make sure I did my job. Because, well, you know, that job meant more to me than anything. Like, you know, mm-hmm. it was like my quote unquote big break or whatever. And like, I didn't want to screw it up. So I forced myself to play Grand Theft Auto 3. And the whole time I played the game, all I thought about was my friend. And I just felt like a piece of crap the whole time I played that game. So that game made me feel really guilty for doing the stuff that I had to do in it because of what had happened to my friend in real life right before it had come out. So that's my first pick. Mm. I feel a lot better about the Robocop thing. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I was saying. I almost wanted to like switch up the order there. I'm like, your story was so fun. And I'm like, mine is yeah. so not. I'm like, maybe I need to flip my picks and talk about the second one first. But So now we're ready to talk about your second one, which is? Uh, my second one would be Shadow of the Colossus. Yeah. Um, which is, I might add, my favorite game of all time. Uh, but early on, when you're killing those colossi, like, it really plays it up as like they didn't do anything they just you know early on you think probably think they're just like animals of some kind like wandering around and you just decide to like roll up with your magic sword and stab them until they fall over dead to a very sad piece of music and like you're kind of like oh so, so I felt really guilty for killing the first like two or three of these things See, that's I don't hate to interrupt you but I just wanted to kind of bring up like I actually got the exact opposite from that because when it first started I think I was so awed by the game and just like these massive creatures that were so well rendered and the the fact that I had to scale them like mm-hmm. I didn't think about any of like the mental implications of it at all. I was just like, "Oh my god, this is like the most awesome thing ever." Like I was so excited to just be playing the game that like at first none of that hit me. Right. Anyway, well, well, like the thing like I didn't it didn't hit me until the first one falls and it's just that sad kind of music as it drops to its knees and falls over yeah. and it's like and like oh like that's kind of horrible that I killed yeah. that thing and then the second one like is kind of like I thought a, they were enemies because the game sets it up is like these are the bad guys like you need to go out and you need to kill these things because they're but it, bad. But that's the thing is it doesn't. He just the demon just says go kill these things. Right. Go kill these things. And it's just like all right, I guess I got to go kill it. And like you're like oh these things just sort of wander around and mind their own business. But then as like you go on, you start running into more aggressive ones right. and ones that will attack you on sight and ones that do things that are really fucking annoying. And like yeah. so so by like Colossus <laughs> seven or eight, I'm just like oh I'm gonna kill you. Yeah. And then and then of course you realize what's actually happening, and then you don't want to do it anymore because clearly Which we won't it's not spoil. working out. Yeah. But like but the, and so you kind of go come back around to the whole like oh like what I'm doing is really bad, yeah. but like for a different reason than what you thought. Before. <laughs> um, but yeah, I would say I, I felt bad. I still do. I mean, I've played through that game probably seven or eight times, and every time I feel bad when I kill the first couple of them. Because, like, the first one was just, he's just walking around. He's just hanging out. And, yeah. like, there's this little kid grows up and just stabbing him in the head. And then, like, the second one is kind of like a big dog. And I, yeah. you know, <laughs> And you like hit it in his it hit it you know, you're like hitting it in the in the in the in the foot and it's like rolling over hurt and you're just like, Oh, these poor things and then like eventually they just become monsters to you. And yeah. It's a really cool I, I think the it's dynamic actually, of that game is yeah. what makes it so incredible. I think it's, a, it's intentional. I think it's a really yeah. cool oh, progression and dynamic to the game and it's the reason why and I, people keep talking about adapting that movie that to a movie and I'm like, that is one of the games that I will always call out as like this 
what this does to you, what it presents to you, what it, the experience it takes you through, can't be replicated in any other medium. Any translation into another medium is going to if lose If you're not something. doing it, yeah. you're going to lose. If you're not doing it, you're going to lose something. If it doesn't take you like 10 hours to go through all 16 right. of these things, yeah. you're going to lose something. If you don't have to spend time in that huge, open, like lonely world, you're going to lose something. If you Using ha- your sword. If you add dialogue somehow to like a movie or like an internal monologue, if you wrote a short story about it, you're going to lose something. Yeah. Like, it is one of the most perfect uses of the medium. It's not a perfect game, yeah. but it's one of the most perfect uses of, of the medium of video games to me. And it is odd how it was completely opposite for me. Because I killed the first two Colossi without even thinking about it. I was just like, this is the best <laughs> game ever. Like, I can't believe I get to climb up these massive bosses or whatever. Because that's the way I was looking. I guess what it was is that I was just looking at it as a video game. Mm. I wasn't thinking about any of those implications. Because games train you like... Here's Big Monster. Kill Big Monster. Because <laughs> Big Monster wants to kill you. For me, it was the third one. When I killed the third Colossi, that was when it hit me. I'm like, wait a minute. Like, these guys haven't attacked me at all. Like, I am, like, coming to them and killing them because somebody told me to do it. But they're not aggressive towards me. Mm-hmm. They're not attacking, like, my base or, like... They haven't threatened me in any way. They haven't kidnapped like yeah. Mike. You're basically breaking into their home. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that was when it hit me, like the third one. And you then, and your accomplice horse. And then, like, you know, they start working in that whole aesthetic into the actual plot. And that's when you really start to realize, oh, man, holy yeah. cow. But, but that's what also is great about this game is how it does affect people differently on an emotional level. Like, you know, at first I was like all gleefully killing them and then I was like, oh, wait a minute. Like, these things are kind of nice. Yeah. <laughs> There's like big animals. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. Though they, you know, it is a great game. I agree. Mm-hmm. I, I, my big issue was just like the implementation of the, the gameplay and the controls. Like, you know, I'm a big gameplay guy and I love the aesthetic of it, but the actual playing of the game felt really clunky to me. And, but, uh, but otherwise, it, you're right. It is one of the sterling examples of the medium. And it's one of those games that you want other people to play who don't get video games. Mm-hmm. Because it's one of those games that can kind of turn the tide for somebody. Like, maybe somebody's like, well, you know, I play Miss Pac-Man. Or, like, I played Call of Duty once. Like, you give them this game. And if they can stick with it for the after the first hour or two yeah. hours or whatever, like, they'll come back to you and be like, oh, my God, thank you. Mm. Thank you. And now I get it. Now I understand why you love these things so much. Because... I think it actually, like, you know, I kind of blew off the beginning of the game because I've been so conditioned by other games to just assume that's the way games were. I think people who don't play games as much get struck by it a lot more quickly than people Mm. who are kind of preconditioned to the way video games work and things like that. So it's like a great ambassador game. It's definitely one of those games that uh, you can turn people onto the medium with. And you're right, it's intelligent storytelling. I honestly think that a movie for this would be okay. It would be a spectacle, but it just wouldn't. I think It'd be the, the same thing. It would. It's like making. It's like the, the Watchmen movie. Watchmen is a pretty decent, you know, eh, like translation of that comic. But to make a movie out of Watchmen is to miss the point of Watchmen. Yeah, I and, think for us too, if we watched a movie based on this, or if they did a movie based on this, like once you kind of know the twist. Yeah, it's a. Well, also like, do you cut it down to like four or five right. colossi? Do yeah. you like, or do you have like a like a. Is the like are Colossi like four through twelve like a montage? Like because right, that yeah. would just be like that would just be funny. To me. That would just seem like yeah. comedy to me. For sure. It's so, like just like um, stab, um, stab. You know, like yeah. you know, because I can feel the temptation to do that. Because 
I mean, you'd end up with... I mean, if you made a real movie about that, I would make, like, a 16-part miniseries on HBO, which is no dialogue. Basically, it would be be like my apocalypto. It would be like, (laughs) no dialogue, just as kid hunting this thing, hunting a new one every week, and as you got to the end, like, the plot developments would slowly come in. But, like... It would be like the most like artsy, boring thing you've ever seen, basically. Yeah. And like I, you, you know, you have to make it as like a big blockbuster picture. And I just don't. I mean, I'm just imagining like Tom Cruise like running around like with his, like <laughs> you know, running from every falling colossus yeah, yeah. And, and all this. I mean, it's just. Well, I think for us it would just probably suck because what would happen is we already know like what the big twist is. Yeah. And so we would just be watching it not for the film, like an average person would. We'd be looking for like the inaccuracies and like yeah. how they. Were all right. Well, yeah. Everything. I mean, I'd be sitting there, it's like, all right, what did you do wrong? Like, right. You know, exactly. I, it'd be like a. It'd be like having like a angry parent evaluating your writing. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> but like, it, you know. But I, I, the one thing that I would say would be a positive about a movie they made out of that would be like it would be nice if more people had been exposed to that aesthetic of yeah. that of that. Because it looks like we're never getting another one. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> eleven years. Yeah. Eleven years. Yeah. And imagine, can you, can you imagine how well that game would do if they made another one. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm glad we got the the the. The HD version, yeah, they were cool, but but again, they did use the uh, the European version of the game, which is a little harder, right? Uh, and uh, a little, I don't, I don't think, I think, I don't think it flows quite as well because of the extra difficulty. Yeah, I mean, we're get, kind of getting the vibe with the Last Guardian, but obviously yeah. not the gameplay. But we'll have to. I mean, eleven years, yeah, I know. like that thing's <laughs> gonna have to be. I mean, I don't know what. It's hard to live up to expectations after that much time. Yeah, I mean, to the point that I. I've had expectations, and then I lost my expectations, and I got new expectations, and then now we're here again. I'm just like, I don't even know what I expect anymore. <laughs> All right, so my last pick for games that made me feel guilty while playing is a game that I honestly feel like everybody should play. It is called Spec Ops The Line, and this is like a third-person military shooter. It definitely flew like way, way under the radar, and... You know, a lot of people say that games like Call of Duty deals with controversial subject matter. This game really did. Like, it dealt, it deals with, like, the psychology of being basically a mass murderer. And, mm-hmm. like, within the context of war, making it okay. Unfortunately, you have to hack through about three hours of really mediocre shooter stuff to get to yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, there's some cool stuff in this game, too, though. There's, like, that whole sand mechanic where you use sand yeah. to, like, kill people and, like, environmental kills and whatnot. But the scene that we're showing right now is a scene that really, really messed with me. So basically what happens is you come up on this little like sandbag thing. There's this army down below that you need to wipe out. And so you have this weapon to the right. It's a mortar that shoots, I think it's called white phosphor. And you're the commander, and you basically tell the rest of your team, you're like, okay, look, we're, if we don't use this white phosphor, we're all going to die. It's the only way that we have to kill this army down here, and if we don't kill them, they're gonna kill us. And one of the guys on your team says, hey, like, dude, that's white phosphor, like, you know what that stuff does. And he's like, I know exactly what it does, and we don't have a choice, so we're gonna use it. And so, they're, like, begrudgingly, your team sets up the mortar, they fire the mortar. Before they fire the mortar, the one guy says, even another time, he says, is that an order? Because, you know, he is weighing on his conscience, and he's like, look, if you tell me it's an order, and we formalize that, then my hands are clean. So he's like, yes, that's an order. So they fire the mortars you're seeing right now. They're firing them. They're dropping them down on the armies. And so what ultimately happens is they finish firing the rounds. They, you know, it's like a smoke grenade type. It's a chemical 
weapon yeah. is what it is. It's a it's phosphorus. It, it yeah. just ignites the air, basically. Pretty much, yeah. And so what happens is they eventually they drop all the rounds. They go down. You can see already it's like pretty much killing all the soldiers down there. So they walk down and they go to inspect it. And like, have you played this, Matt? Did you play uh, this? No, but I watched it. You watched this scene in particular? Yeah, I watched someone play most of it. So is this like a really popular thing or what? This scene. Is this uh, like something? I, I think among like people like us, like people who love and know games, like yeah, everybody knows Spec Ops. Oh. Uh, kind of gets into this dark shit. Well, the line, yeah, but I mean, this particular scene is what really, like, shook people Yeah, like, this is known as the scene that kind of, like, turns the corner, I think. Oh, because, I mean, this game is full of stuff like this, by the yeah. way. Like, there's scenes where, like, they tell you to, like, let a guy live or die, and, like, it's not, like, clear-cut, like, this is a yeah, bad is that, guy. There's a lot of, like, <laughs> civilian stuff that you have to deal with, but it's, like, you know, it's, 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 it's weirdly, it's kind of a comment on modern military games. Oh, it totally is. It makes you think about what you're doing. And so here's what really starts started to get to me. So you go down and you start to inspect the battlefield to see if the weapons have worked. And oh boy, have they ever worked. There's people basically being burned alive. Um, like, they're all pleading with you, like, like basically kill me. Like, you know, put me out of my misery, because they're burning, you know. It's like mm-hmm. igniting their flesh or whatever. So you walk through the wasteland of this battlefield, and you're, all these people are, like, crawling, like, trying to get out of the phosphor, or just at begging you to kill them. And then ultimately what happens is you come across like a mother and a child and you find out that there were civilians that you had just killed. Like literally just scores and scores of civilians that you had just mass murdered. And I I don't know if I've ever felt so bad playing a video game as whenever this happened. Like it was just mortifying. And I almost... The messed up part is like I almost got really angry at like the developers for doing this. And look, I kind of get why they do it. Like I understand that like they're trying to make a political statement about it, but I feel like making a player do something like this is like you're making somebody do something that they probably wouldn't want to do. Like in in my opinion, this is one case where like giving the player choices probably would have been one of the best games to offer player choice, to allow someone to make that. I mean, look at this, dude. Like I don't know. I just, it just really shook me to the core, man. Like I, 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 I mean, I, I felt appreci- so guilty. I appreciated it in the sense that, like, it's a counterpoint to the kind of you know. I don't think the Call of Duty games try to make war look fun. I don't. Yeah. You know, people say it's like they don't some, like glorify. I don't think they glorify it. I don't think they make it seem like something good. But there is like Spec Ops: The Line really kind of took a stand and said like. Hey, like even on that level, like this stuff is horrifying. It like, really you know, you know, is. People, people come back from this, and people are coming back from here this stuff. Here are the civilians right here. Here's like, like you know, shot. Like this is like, people come back and never are never the same. And like you know, make maybe making you know mass entertainment out of it is not. Which know, is the what mo- they the, did. The most yeah, which is what they did. But like you have to use your medium somehow, I guess. But it's like you know, it's I, I appreciate what they're trying to say with this, and they are also commenting on kind of the you know. You know, people forget that, like, you know, it, civilians are casualties of war all the time. You know, in, yeah. in World War II, it was something like 21 million civilians were killed. Right. And, like, you know, in total war, like, that happens. And that's one of the reasons everybody doesn't want to go to war is because everyone gets involved. You know, it's not just, like, some far-off military skirmish that we don't have to think about. It's, you know, if it happens where you live, like, you're on the line. And, you know, you're on, you know, and that's... It, it's, a, it's a reality that maybe, you know, the Western world or the first world doesn't know about anymore. See, so here's the thing. So, like, going back to, like, No Russian, which is, like, the classic case right. of, like, the game that made me feel guilty. Like, like, with No Russian, you didn't have to shoot anybody. In fact, the first time I played through it, I didn't shoot anyone at all. The, the, the people who are with you will take care of all the killing. Like, mm-hmm. you don't have to kill anyone, and I didn't. Like, I yeah. literally Not just... until someone shoots back at you. Right. 
Yeah, right. There's that one point where finally someone shoots, and then you have to, like, finish the mission or whatever. But, mm -hmm. like, this whole thing where you're mowing down, like, the people in the airport, like, you don't have to do any of that. Like, these guys who are with you will take care of all of it. And I didn't do any of it. So, this game gave you the choice of whether you wanted to be the scumbag. But Spec Ops Align doesn't give you that option. It's like, if you want to move mm -hmm. forward in the game, you have to drop that white phosphor on them, and you have to watch that cutscene, and you have to be... The bad guy, which also kind of stands in contrast to the rest of the game where there was kind of choice in what you could do. So, yeah. As far as... That probably is the game that made me feel the most guilty ever playing it. Hmm. And I, you know, I didn't appreciate the fact that I had to be that person and do that. And I get it. You know, they're trying to make a statement about war. Um, and it... Look, it was impactful. And it did yeah. change my perspective on not just the people who are caught up in war, but what soldiers have to do like the one guy like saying you know is that an order because mm -hmm. otherwise i ain't doing this crap like you know that happens to people on the battlefield all the time every day probably where mm -hmm. they're asked to do something that they personally have an issue with so I, like i said i think when we first started talking about this i'm like i feel like everyone should play spec ops line yeah. <laughs> and now people are like wait a minute you said everybody should play it and I, and I think it's for the reason that you said because it does kind of make a statement not just about war but also about like games based on war mm -hmm. and you know sometimes it's very easy to just sit back and just mow down like 500 people or whatever one time i came in from drinking and i was kind of lit up when i came in i started playing call of duty and i actually felt guilty playing multiplayer in call of duty i don't know why <laughs> i don't know what kind of mindset i was in or whatever but i came in and started playing it and i was like this is disgusting and like i stopped playing it <laughs> like i'm not kidding like i realized i just murdered like 50 people and like and again it's a game and it's not real and but sometimes it does affect you on that subcutaneous yeah. level. Like, in this game, I mean, it was just over and over this game did it. I mean, literally, mm -hmm. there's like 10 instances in Spec Ops The Line where I was like, what? Like, yeah. you're really going to make me do this? And uh, there's, there's some things. I mean, you're right about... I, I would say if there was another game I was going to pick for this, we don't have footage, so we won't talk about it much. But I would say uh, when my Renegade playthrough of Mass Effect 3, I had to do some things I really didn't want to do. Yeah. And there was one particular thing that I think most people that like have played that game know what I'm talking about. But um, I had to do a thing just because my Renegade playthrough. I stick to Renegade. I am Renegade. Like I don't have a choice in it. I'm going yeah. full Renegade. And I had to do a thing to a character, and I did not like my Shepherd for a while after that. Yeah. Like and so like it, it, it's funny how like you can really feel like these become real moral choices in these games. Um, especially if you identify with the character you're playing as, like, you know, and it, it's just, it's just, it's like, there's no other medium like it, because I'm, you know, you can't really, comp I'm trying to compare, like, you know, it's like, well, yeah, Spec Ops The Line makes you feel kind of uncomfortable and, and upset, but, like, you know, art doesn't have to be friendly all the time, you know, you oh, get, yeah. and I was, but I was trying to come up with, like, a comparison to, like, an unpleasant-to-watch movie, like, maybe something like Irreversible or something, you know, something that's, that's valuable to have seen, but maybe you wouldn't want to see it again. You yeah. know? But like, I could come up with tons of movies like right. that. But it's, There's but, lots of movies I've watched where afterwards I'm like, I hope nobody can ever see my history of what movies right. I watched. But there's sort of this thing of our movies kind of, you know, a lot of the best movies that kind of cross that line kind of do so with the knowledge that you're like the voyeur of the story. Right. Whereas games, like, you're, you're, you, you're doing it. Yeah. You, you And like, you know, and as much as you can remove yourself from whatever and it's something like Spec Ops Line, like, well, well, I didn't really get, choose that. That's how the story went. I'm not that guy. I right, didn't make like, that choice. Instance, why, but it why still throws Ops, you through that. Did they not let you play the guy who's like, no? Like, is that an order? Because I think it's important that you be that commander. 
character. That, that, that's that's the line. It, they could have softened it, softened it a little bit by right. making you that person who objected to it, but still had to do it because that's your job or whatever. Mm-hmm. But. But at the end of the day... You don't get that out in that game, and I kind of like that. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it is really impactful, and it, and it does make mm-hmm. you question a lot of things that go yeah. on that you just kind of just blow, blow and I, in one ear and out the other. And I also think that, like, um, it, got a, it got some criticism at the time for the main character's voice being Nolan North. Yeah, it is Nolan basic, North. Basically doing Drake. I mean, if there was a yeah. period where everybody just had Nolan North come in and do Drake's voice right. like, for everything. Yeah. Um, so to me, in a sense, like this guy, the guy in that game is sort of like Drake's older brother. Like, it's like, <laughs> right. that's a, which I guess is that whole head is going to go out the window when four comes out because his actual brother is showing up. Right, like, right. But um, but there's I think there's also something we say like once you get into the meat of that game, the fact that it's Nolan North, like one of probably the top two male voice actors yeah. in gaming. Going through that story, like that, also gives it a little extra sh- extra kick. I think I actually kind of found it comforting for some reason. <laughs> Isn't that odd? Yeah. No, no. North is 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 uh, him and Troy Baker are kind of the 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 male anchors. Right. They're just like the guys they're, they're that the you've been on adventures with, and they're kind of your yeah. bros. And like, it's like it's like you know the ultimate like you know comforting action picture would probably be like Nolan North, Troy Baker, and uh, Jennifer Hale all go on an action adventure together. Like yeah. that, would be, that would be the, the gaming voice actor uh, The Mummy. Let's this scene that. is so horrible, by the way. Alright, I don't want to see it anymore. All right, Tony, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> so an interesting topic, nonetheless. Yeah. I mean, and, I think... and a real one, I think. You know, it, it, like when you say that to someone that doesn't really play games, I think even someone like when you first texted me, I'm like, "What the hell does that mean?" Like, right. really? And then you think about it, and you're like, "No, there have been times when I didn't want to do what I had to so do." So I think a lot of people that play games, like they, they always say it's not real, and you know, and it always gets mixed up in the whole violence in video games thing, right? Because it's kind of like the out for whenever people say, "Oh, well, violent video games cause people to be violent," and so I think a lot of people that play games try to say, well, games don't affect you. Because if they feel like if they admit that, that that also means that violent games can make people violent. And that's not the case at all. And I don't think there's anything wrong with admitting that games can affect you on that level. In fact, it's one of the reasons why I play it, because Mm -hmm. there's a possibility of that happening. And And I'll tell you this, the more more video games I play, the less likely I am to kill someone in real life. Yeah, exactly. But I feel like we have like this built-in defense me- mechanism as gamers where we're like, well, if we allow this and we say that, yeah, it, do- it affects me in this way, then we're also admitting that it's affecting us in some other way. And it opens the mm. door for people who don't play games to be like, well, see, you felt guilty playing that game. So how do you know if you're not playing violent games, it's not going to make you violent? And so, Well, because like Dungeons & Dragons doesn't make me satanic and watching right. Rambo movies doesn't make me uh, more violent. Right. And I, None of that makes any sense. But it's, it is different because you're doing it. I mean, we said that And already. also, no matter what you say about video games, movies, whatever, uh, anyone of any age can walk into a bookstore and buy a Stephen King novel, which right. I guarantee you has vastly worse oh, yeah. things in it than anything <laughs> I've ever real. seen on a screen. Yeah. So. It is just an odd dynamic, though, you know, because yeah. we are very defensive. Because, you know, it's, I think we all believe that it's not true that violent games will lead people to commit violent acts. Unless they were predetermined to do it anyway, and then a movie could have done it or anything else yeah. could have done and it. And in that case, I think it's just part of the tapestry of their existence. You know, it's like, yeah. 
that didn't make them do that. It was maybe something they were interested in because they had that tendency in the first place. And that's why they watched that movie right. or played that game in the first but place. But it didn't create that impulse. It right. was part of that, part of them acting on that impulse. The impulse is what made them choose that yeah. piece of media. And then you kind of, and then you wander into the argument like, well, maybe that's a warning. They're warning signs. Like, well, no, because eight million people play Call of Duty and eight million people have not like gone yeah, out exactly. and killed someone. Yeah. So, but you, you know, like, yeah, it's like scary that someone can snap and do that, but you can't, there is no given metric. There is no secret key of like, oh, they're into, you know, like this kind of music or this kind of whatever, and then that means that that's what they are. And it's like, well, that just doesn't work that way. Yeah. The numbers don't hold up in any way for that. Yeah. Well, I enjoyed that conversation. Hopefully yeah. uh, you sisters did as well. It's time to move on to something much more light. Yeah. In fact, about as light as it can get. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, uh, gravity-defying in some yeah, senses. <laughs> exactly. So today it was announced by Koei Tecmo that they are not going to be bringing over Dead or Alive Extreme Beach Volleyball 3 to the West. Oh. And it wasn't like this weird, like, nebulous, like, they literally wrote on their Facebook page, we are doing it to like, avoid nope. backlash and controversy because they literally said the way things have changed recently in the games industry. Hmm. The first thing we should say is that the game before this one that played and looked just like this one came out in the United States. Yeah. No problem The last whatsoever. two of them did. And look, we kind of we talked about this last week with censorship, so I don't want to spend a ton of time talking about this. But the one thing I will say is like a lot of people are like, I don't get it. Like, who cares? Like, this game isn't coming out here. But here's one thing I would say is that like, if you wanted a volleyball game for your PlayStation 4... This is the only place you're going to get it. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I like, was say what you want about the sex and the boobs and the butts and whatever and all that, but the bottom line is there's no volleyball game for PlayStation 4. No. And I'm it's like, actually a pretty decent volleyball game. Yeah, I was, I was, that was actually one of my, before this was, I knew this was also on the big six. It was one of my picks for Guilty Games. It was mm. like, I played the other, guilty the, pleasure, the yeah. other two because like the volleyball's pretty good. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's like basically a cheesecake like softcore simulator, but like I, the first one, especially on the first Xbox, I played that for a long time because the yeah. volleyball was fun. Well, here's the other thing too: is that like you know we talk about how wire games all rated seven to ten. Well, it used to be back in the day that you would have like volleyball games to buy. Yeah, and they were beach spikers, right? And they weren't great, but you know what? They reviewed a five to like a six or whatever. Yeah. And if you liked volleyball, there was your damn volleyball game. Well, we don't get them anymore, and so. People are like, oh, what's the big uproar about censorship? It doesn't matter. It's like, oh, well, they, they're changing it. It's, they're, it's not being censored for the U.S. Well, the problem is is that when you, you crack the door open and you crack it each little time, eventually that door's wide open for them to do stuff like not bring a volleyball game to the United States. Well, I think it's silly that, you know, they're just being paranoid in that regard. And I know that, like, you know, everybody's afraid that you're going to get backlash on, like, Twitter or Tumblr or whatever, you know, and it's like, oh, but it's also like, I, don't, I think a lot of people don't mind, you know, it's, it's more that I think they're misinterpreting what people are complaining about when it comes to, like, the, sexi the sexist depictions of things in games like, like this. Is like, it's more like when you've got a game that's, like, otherwise has nothing to do with sort of, like, cheesecake right. or sexy stuff. And, like, you just, like, put in the, the girl with, like, you know, ripped clothing and the chainmail bikini and all this shit. I mean, Whereas look, this I'll... is, like, this is, like, right. It's, like, hey, that's what we're here for, folks. I mean, look, yeah, I'll be perfectly I'll... honest with you. Sometimes when I'm flipping through the channels and I come across beach volleyball, I'll yeah. stop and watch it. Well, also, like... And it's not because I love beach volleyball. Well, also, and, and also, <laughs> like, you know, you, you know who's the most excited about this game in my house? 
is my girlfriend. Oh, really? <laughs> she loves these games. She loves the Dead or Alive games. She loves the Dead or Alive Extreme Beach Volleyball games. And she's like, oh, I'll just import the Asian version then. Wow. Like, she, like this is not stopping her. Like, yeah, she's yeah. like, she is going to have her bikini-clad volleyball players well, it does if have it kills English, her. Here's the thing. Like, it does have English subtitles. Yeah, the Asian version has means that, like, yeah. Koei Tecmo is hedging its bets a little bit, saying, well, you know what? Yeah. People well, who really the, want most, it will probably import it. Yeah, but most, I mean, most Asian versions of them have that because you have to have them, I think, in Hong Kong or something. It's, oh. like, a, it's like a legal thing. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, I was not aware of that. Yeah. But there's the, the other Asian PlayStation, it was a PlayStation 3 game, but they did a version. You remember, um, oh, Endless Ocean? Yeah, those games on the Wii. Yeah. There was a PS3 version that never came here, and there's an Asian version that has English subtitles that you can get, but it's like hundreds of dollars because no. everybody wants it. Right. So, but like the Asian version, if you if it's never something's never coming here, and if you have a region-free system like the PlayStation has been for two generations yeah. now, you can get the Asian one, and it'll work, and you get the subtitles, and it's great. But the only downside is, I guess, you need to create an Asian. Uh, account to be able to download any DLC or buy any DLC. Yeah, that starts to get dicey. And you, well, and you know that like this thing is going to be DLC. Oh yeah. Like beyond bikinis you know, yeah. and outfits and all that. I mean, this yeah. is, is you know, come on. Like yeah. we we saw the last Dead or Alive game, which was all DLC. I mean, Final it, round still is putting oh, out yeah. new it's DLC. Like, it's like hundreds of dollars of DLC. <laughs> And especially because this this fits right into that kind of you know what's the top selling DLC in like Japan history is uh, Idol Master, right? Where you're just buying like songs outfits and outfits for your idols. Yeah. yeah. So I think this is along the same line. So yeah, you're probably gonna want some DLC on this one. Matt, is this like what the Gamer Gators call the social justice warriors, like winning? Mm, see, I don't know because well, I mean I'm sure there's people that are like that do think this is a victory, but most. I think people that they would describe as that. I mean, I don't even think the people that they call social justice warriors look at stuff like a winner or a loser. No. I think they're just standing up well, for what they might, believe. But I like, but I, but I think the thing is in, but. right. But I think most of this is like you know they don't want to stop these games from existing. They want other options on the shelf next to them. You know, if they want to, you know, they would like a volleyball game that you don't have to dress in bikinis to play, which is not really how people play volleyball. But like, <laughs> not beach volleyball. I mean, like yeah. professional volleyball is done in like, you know, sporting wear. But like, although those outfits are also pretty skimpy. Yeah, well, you got to move, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but like, you know, I think, you know, they're advocating for, like, options for people who don't want to put up with this kind of thing. But I'm saying, like, those people, like, we're never going to buy this game in the first place. Like, right. you know, like, that's not the audience. And the audience for this, you know, is male and female. Like, this is not... Well, like you said, your girlfriend. Yeah, this is not something that, like, everybody hates. You know, some people think it's fun. And I think it's fun. Uh, I thought the achievements in the last one were ridiculous. But, like, the, uh, you know, what I'm saying is, like, this is there, you can buy it. And the thing is, like, this isn't a situation where like a lot of people complain and a lot of people dislike is like when you buy a game that you're interested in for other reasons than the cheesecake idea and you and it's full of it anyway. Yeah. You know? As opposed to this where it's like you know what you're buying here. Yeah, for sure. I mean this is this is right out there. And like I think they're just being paranoid about a because ba- any I think most back any backlash on this game would be from people who weren't gonna play it anyway. Well, for like, sure, yeah. Because, like, this is dead or alive. Like, this yeah. is the same, you know, the, the series has been doing this, even the non-Extreme Beach Volleyball version of the series has been doing the cheesecake kind of, you know, ripping clothing and, you know, there's, you know their, their big bragging point on this is the swimsuits slip off. Right. Sometimes. Now, that's like, that's PlayStation 4 exclusive. Exclusive? Oh, okay. It's the slipping bikinis. You need, you need the extra <laughs> physics processing to make that happen, right? And yeah. the, wet, the wet skin technology. Yeah. Uh, but no wet hair technology. Yeah. After all these years, you think you can make the hair look like real hair getting wet, but I guess it's somehow not our priority. Hmm. Yeah. But um, I, I mean, I think these games are pretty harmless fun, and I think most people would would even people that like do like kind of campaign against sexism in gaming. I think most people would agree that even those people, for the most part, would agree that like 
they're not fooling you on this. They're not trying to like slip this in. They're not trying to like you know you know sexually sexually objectify like something that's in a in a game that doesn't warrant it. This is like that's what this game is for, and like no one's under any illusions about that. So while some people may find it distasteful, I don't think it's the same thing pe most people are complaining about in that regard. But maybe that's a more fine-tuned distinction than Tecmo is willing to make on this. But don't you think because of and look, I even hate using these terms, Gamergator and social justice warriors. Or I hate just saying them. But don't you think because of like that whole dust-up between these two groups that that's why they're not bringing it out here? I mean, because what I'm looking at is like, okay, why did these games come out last gen without a mm. problem? And why now all of a sudden are they a problem? I feel like it's because of this controversy that's happened between these two groups of people. Probably. I don't even know if the social justice warriors even exist. Like, I feel like that's something that Gamergate that has is, fabricated. Yeah. Well, no, that, that term is generally considered a, um, a a pejorative term that people use to try to shore their own position, right. basically. Like, like, although, you know, again, there's nothing really negative in that term. Like, yeah. social justice warrior, I'm like, like nothing okay, really bad know, about that, yeah. I play warriors all the time in video games. It's yeah. just been demonized, basically, right. yeah. But, like... The thing is, like, I think I think Tecmo Koei is just misjudging the water on that one. To keep, Overcorrection. To keep, to keep, yeah, to keep with the beach terms. And I know I'm sure there are people that point it and say, like, see, you're robbing us of games we want to play. And it's just like, well, really, it's more like, you know, if, if people could just say, you know, make their criticisms of this kind of thing and not be attacked, like, so virulently... You know, maybe they, these companies wouldn't. The company wouldn't be afraid to wade into that. You know, there wouldn't be a, a fracas to kind of avoid. You know, it would be more like, yeah, you're probably right, but like, you know, be cool-headed about it. But that doesn't really happen. So, uh, yeah, I think they're reacting to that and they don't want to get involved, and so they're just going to do that. But it's like, it's not like you can't still get it. It's not like you know, people in the West are never going to hear about this game. You know, it's like if it's going to be a flashpoint, it's going to be a flashpoint. Yeah, and now that they've done that in response to it, it might make it even more of a flashpoint. So it might knows? end up turning into something. We'll yeah. see. I mean, again, it, just breaking it down to the most simple elements, it's like now there's no volleyball game for the PlayStation Four for <laughs> however long. Like, yeah. I mean, I've told this story before across the years, but like the one way I could always tell which console was going to win, if you talk to casual people, they always have like niche interests that they're into. And like, I used to be really good friends with these two twins. These bo they're both like 6'5", and they were into volleyball. And, yeah, <laughs> I know, how hilarious is, is that? So it's dumb. so ridiculous. So, But it, it knows it. Oh it, yeah, that, of that's, course. It, that's yeah. why it's fun, is because it knows it's ridiculous. Yeah, and so my, those friends, when, you know, they're one of the people that reach out to me, like, whenever they're getting ready to buy a new console. And the one question they always ask me is, like, which console has the best volleyball game? Like, that's what they care about, because they know they're not it hardcore gamers. must have been through a very long string of disappointing generations. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> seriously, <laughs> like, they are really burned by the B-level games going away. <laughs> but, like, to them, stuff like that matters. There's a lot of people out there who have, like, a little thing that they're really into, and, like, they care that there's that game's not available. And so... I don't know. I'm, I think it's pretty wrong that that game's not coming to the U.S. It's like you said, it's pretty I much, think it's, sad. it's harmless fun, and like I feel like it's disappointing, and I feel like people with loud mouths have been able to kind of take over the conversation and make a prominent video game developer and publisher adjust its position. I mean, it, mm. 10 years ago, it was fine for them to put that out here. Now, not so much. And what's changed? 
the whole climate around games, and I, in a big part of that was that whole. And I don't of, think it, if they had put it out here, I don't think anyone would have cared. No. But especially, now they will. Well, especially because like it almost certainly would have been a digital only release. Yeah. And barely anyone would have. The only people would have noticed the people who wanted to play it. You're right. Just like Yakuza. Yeah, you're right. Yakuza Five is supposed to still be out by the end of the year. Does anyone know but me? No, not really. Yeah. <laughs> like, Some people accepted like it. Yeah. Well, I mean, there is an audience for sure, but that's why it's still you know slowly but surely every few years Sega is forced to put another one out in English. But like it's the same kind of thing. It's like is is anyone maybe if there was like a group of people who's like super against games that feature organized crime as an element because it's ex- exploitative or whatever. Like, would they even know Yakuza 5 existed? Probably right. not. Yeah, because yeah. it's, like, just buried under PSN on the PS3. You know, right. no one knows. But, and so, you know, I, I just don't think this would have been... I think it would have been a non-issue. You know, it, and also, like, if people didn't have the same reaction, more or less, to Dead or Alive 5, which also has all the wet skin tech and, like, right. zooming on the boobs and people's outfits get ripped up, I mean, it's the same kind of thing. But it's a fighting game. Yeah, but it's just <laughs> this is a volleyball game. I know, it's like, that's what I'm we're not actually here for the for the bikinis. We're here to play volleyball and jet ski and do that thing where you bump into each other's asses until you fall in the pool. For some, I don't know what the the other thing about that clip that I love is the is when like she gets up and the bikini tops falling off. She's like, oh my god, like it's all falling off. And I'm just like, there's no one else in the resort. Who's yeah, who see cares? You? Like, <laughs> I want to go to that resort where there's nobody at the pool. Like I can't. I want. I want to go to this resort where it's like two people. You know, just it's like let's just yeah. Let's go to the deserted desert island resort. I, that looks fun to me. That is great. All right, it's time to move on. I think we've uh, milked that one for all it's worth. No pun intended. <laughs> All right, next we're going to move on. We're going to talk about Platinum Games. Today, Platinum Games basically went on his Twitter feed and said, Hey, fans, which of these four franchises do you want us to revive? Hmm. And so what we're going to do first is we're going to talk about each of the four franchises and talk about our prospects of what, how we feel each one of them will be successful or not. And then we're both going to make our pick for which one we want to see revived. Hmm. So the first game that we're going to talk about is Bayonetta. Matt, is Bayonetta dead in the water at this point? Obviously, it came out Bayonetta two came out for the Wii U. It pretty much just tanked. Yep. Like I mean, like there's not even really pretty much. It I bought one. Yeah. I don't I, even I mean, own the I, system, I bought it but too. I bought one. We're two of few. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty much the best way two to put it. Two of too few, yeah. apparently. I mean, is it just the platform it was on, which arguably I can understand that. You know, it is the Wii U. It's the younger yeah, demographic. Yeah. I mean, I don't think we know. I don't think there's a way to tell. But again. The first one barely sold enough to warrant a sequel, and it was mainly funded by Nintendo, as I understand well, it. Well, yeah, because Sega refused to pick it up, Yeah, the sequel. Um, so I probably Bayonetta is dead, I would say. And it also, like, Bayonetta 2 was pretty much Bayonetta 1 again. Well, I mean, you know? they're not, look, they're saying it's not dead. There's an opportunity for it to stay alive if the fans respond. I just, I, I don't know what else there is to do with that other than more of the same. And, uh, you know, if we're talking about, like, you know, revive a dream platinum franchise. Uh, Bayonetta is not on my not on my list. Yeah, I'd agree with you. I really enjoyed the first Bayonetta because I thought it was something really unique at, at the time. And I will say another thing too, like yeah, if you want to talk about games, although I have to say I, I did enjoy the first Bayonetta, but you want to talk about games that I will turn off if someone else comes in the room. Oh yeah, it's yeah. Embar- it can be embarrassing. And not yeah. even not even like the the cheesecake kind of zooming through her legs thing. Just yeah. like the constant plane of fly me to the moon. Yeah. Like, for some reason, just kept really kind of like, ah, why is it... Pl-? And, like, my girlfriend, why are they playing that song again? I was like, I don't know. I'll say this much about this game. It has to be, I mean, the production values in the game are insane. 
Like, yeah, it's really. This has to be a game that had the most work done on it that failed the most miserably. Like, there's a lot of games that fail really badly, but ultimately it's because they suck. Yeah, there but is no, there is no th- corners were cut on this game. Yeah, like, no, this is a soup. Both of the Bayonetta's are super quality presentations, super quality games. Like from you know, top to bottom, gameplay, graphics, design, art design, everything. In and fact, I, maybe that's a good topic for another game face. Is like the highest quality games that failed. That no one cares about. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> this game is top, both of them, top to bottom, high quality games, great gameplay, which you know I really enjoyed and had a lot of fun yeah. with. When you play these games, you do not come off feeling like they're some kind of like B list relic. No. You know, they they are not those games we talk about that are disappearing. It's just not catching. It's just too wacky and too off the wall. I guess like so. I, you know, I never really resonated with the story or the characters much. Like, I really played it for the gameplay and the spectacle, I guess mm-hmm. is the best way to put it. Um, so I would agree with you. Like, I would not be heartbroken if I never saw another Bayonetta. Um, I also feel like maybe by the end of the second one, like, they kind of milked it for all it was worth gameplay-wise, too. Yeah, and again, like, while I would certainly play Bayonetta 3... If you're really talking about something that's going to be successful for Platinum, I don't think this is it. I think that was just proven with the Wii U, despite the fact of if the user base yeah. is on that platform. Yeah, I mean, even by Wii U standards, I don't think that game sold well. And it, it, not, and it yeah. included the first one. That was a really good deal. I also feel like Nintendo kind of sent it out to die. They buried it a little bit, yeah. Because also, the other thing is, like, I can't totally blame Nintendo for that, because it's like, how do you sell that game? Especially in this country. Like, I don't know how you present Bayonetta to an American audience, the audience that makes, like, Call of Duty a hit and yeah. Fallout a hit, and how do you get them to, like, jump onto that? I don't know I don't know how you do that. Well, I think the other problem with it, too, is it kind of flies in the face of how Nintendo usually does things. It's like, it, Bayonetta 2 is kind of like a contradiction mm-hmm. to everything Nintendo does. <laughs> like, yeah. You know they censor a lot of stuff. We've had that. We had that co- that conversation. Nintendo censor. Is it, are they censoring it or is? Are well, the that's the other thing. Is like you know, that is an interesting kind of you know comparison to where Nintendo came from. Where like for years and years and years, eight bit, sixteen bit. I think somewhat into the sixty in the sixty four bit, Nintendo sixty four era, they were you know you couldn't show a cross. You right. couldn't show any religious they imagery whatsoever. A lot of religious. And now one of their exclusives is a game where you go like basically fight your way through hell and heaven and confront God. Right. You know, it's just yeah. like, it's like, okay, <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm saying. I think that's why they sent it out to die. I think they may regret that deal that they made for that game. All right, next we're going to talk about, here's a polarizing game, Beautiful Joe. Mm-hmm. Do you like Beautiful Joe, Matt? I liked it. I think that's the I, way I always a feel lot like of people whenever, feel. Whenever, I, whenever someone asks me about stuff, like, I, I feel like uh, when someone asks you about, like, oh, did you try my whatever and you didn't really want it to, you're like, I had some. Yeah. <laughs> That's how I'm with Beautiful Joe. I, okay. I played some. Yeah. You know, I liked it as an idea more than I liked it as a game. Because the other thing is, like, Beautiful Joe is like, there's a lot of gameplay mechanics to it that, like, you've got to really dig, dig into to understand. The game's hard as, hard as balls. And I, just didn't, I didn't have the patience for it at the time. I just never A lot of times, like, aesthetic will help you overcome challenge. Mm hmm. And a lot of times reward will help you overcome challenge. With a game like Bloodborne or Dark Souls, a lot of times the amount of the feeling that you get from completing something that's really challenging is enough to get you through the fight. But with Beautiful Joe, like I never really cared for the character. I never really understood who or what the character was supposed to be. I mean, I, I feel like the Wonderful One Hundred and One is kind of in the same boat. Like it's just this kind of a weird art style and these characters that are kind of hard to resonate with and like. 
Wonderful 101 at least had like a more of a gradual learning curve and difficulty curve. This game was just kind of hard right out of the gate. Like, <laughs> like after the first like two levels, like it gets really complicated and really challenging. And so it never sold well either. And they made two of those. Three Be of them. Three Beautiful Joes? Well, there was well, a the Red Hot one, Rumble. Right? There was the like a, it was like a party game kind of Smash Brothers sort Right, of thing. right. But they made two proper ones. Yeah. Which still surprises me. Platinum will give it a chance. They Pla- Platinum, <laughs> Platinum doesn't give up. I mean, look at this. It's like a dude with like a good. It's just. It's really he's bizarre. A big, he's a big Power Rangers fan. He's a big yeah. Sentai fan, and he he uh, and it's like his hero passes his powers on. It's like you know, I, I get it, but it's like. Here's part of the thing is like there was there, there's a complexity to this game that like it's almost it's on the level of like an actual fighting game. It is, and I'm yeah. just not willing to delve that hard and long into something that's not required to beat another human being. You know, it's right. like it's like I'm really good at Beautiful Joe, and no one will ever know that. Yeah. You know, it's just like, it's <laughs> like like great. You know, yeah. I guess that might be a little different in this time of streaming. Like you know, if you stream Beautiful Joe, somebody wants to watch you. Yeah. See if you can beat it. That but like uh, yeah, I just never kind of. Yeah, you know, and it was on the GameCube, and uh, well, originally it was. Yeah, and I just never. But eventually, it came to other platforms. But yeah, yeah, that's true. But I forgot about that too. Yeah. <laughs> so I think we're both in agreement. Beautiful Joseph, no, wouldn't be my pick. No. Yeah. All right. So the next one, Devil May Cry. He might. He just might. So obviously, the last game was a huge departure. They just released the re-release of Devil May Cry Four, mm-hmm. which is what we're seeing right now, which is like a remastered version of Devil May Cry Four, which. Just seemed to kind of disappear, and never really make a bump in the sales. So yeah, I don't know what you do with this game, really. Um, here's the thing: I, I like Dante. I don't like a lot of all the games in the series. Uh, I actually didn't mind the reboot that uh, um, Ninja Theory did. Ninja Theory did. Um, but Dante is very much a vestige of the '90s, I he think, is, in yeah, a lot of ways. Very 90s. E- the even red though, I mean, code yeah, like... I mean, it comes from like, like what the first one was like 2001, yeah. 2002. But like, I think he's a cool of a past era. So I think you'd have to reinvent this on a level that just, you know. And a lot of the people who remember those games remember them because they were so bad in yeah. terms of like the acting and the right. storytelling. And like they're just sort of—it's a relic in a lot of ways. And the gameplay saves it because the gameplay is always very good, especially three. Three is yeah. probably the best game in the series, I think. Um, just super. Definitely not two. No, no. <laughs> but like three, you know, three is the pinnacle where it just like I means super, super skill-based, intricate, yep. like just you know, like it was it was the counterpoint to Ninja Gaiden. You know, right. Ninja Gaiden and that were kind of two opposite takes on the same sort of character action genre. And like you know, you like one or the other better. I like Ninja Ninja Gaiden better, but um, but and I agree with that. Devil May Cry Three is still a great, great action game, and um, both are hokey, by the way. Oh, very hokey, <laughs> and have really bad stories. Yeah, <laughs> um, and make very, I think Ninja Gaiden is one of the most disjointed, weird kind of like wait, what? Yeah. Like there's a there's a city and a blimp made of electricity, and there's people with lasers and ninjas. Turn your and brain off. The yeah. sword can rule the world, but now there's a dragon made of bones, and yeah. it's like, it's like okay, what, you know, at least Devil May Cry is like, yeah, hell, there's demons, and stuff's is coming for pizza. you, you gotta beat him, and you gotta eat pizza. Yeah. Like, it's like, alright, pizza, yeah, like Ninja right, Turtles, right, I get it, swords, yeah. right, okay, here we go. Yeah, put, put pizza uh, in Ninja Gaiden, I would really have a thing to hold on to there, yeah. I think. 
So I really like uh, the characters and kind of all that stuff in, in Devil May Cry, but again, I would think you'd, I mean, maybe not reinvented into the heroin chic version that like NJ Theory did, because clearly people didn't accept that very yeah. well, but I think you got to change it somehow to make it palatable for 2015, because yeah. D- Dante is a relic. He is. He, he for sure is. I agree with that. And even Devil May Cry 4, like, uh, or I reviewed that and I did not give it a good score. Man, did I ever get murdered for that, but... I was a very dedicated fan base. Oh, yeah. And yeah. that's the thing. The other, because that's the other thing is like, and I think this is true of all these games we're mentioning, there's nothing else quite like it. There's nothing, yeah. if, you, if they don't make any more Devil May Cry's, they don't make any Bayonetta's, like, what do you play instead? Nothing. They don't make any, you know. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like Metal Gear, basically you play other uh, Platinum games. Right. You know? like, like Revengeance. Yeah, yeah like Revengeance. Or, yeah, it, it's, it's just, I understand why people get so attached to these things, because like if they if they go if they away, really like it, if they really like it, and they go shocked. away, you're never going to get another one. Yeah, you know. But like Devil May Cry, I don't know, because I don't know. I would I like to play another Devil May Cry that Platinum made? Yeah, absolutely. Do I think it would sell well? No. I don't know about that. I think it would probably sell better than the last two we mentioned. Yeah. <laughs> but like, it might sell better than the last two we mentioned combined. Yeah. But like, I don't know. I think probably it's their best shot. And a hit. Alright, so let's move on to the last one, which is Okami. And my favorite of all Platinums. I mean, they were Clover Studios when right. they made it. Yeah. But, but it's my favorite Eventually of all their games. Eventually transformed into Platinum right. after they were purchased. and. Yeah, but that is my favorite of their games. Of uh, all of them? Yes. No qu- I think it's great. I'd agree. It is a great game. Hands down. I think it's a game that anybody can appreciate, but few did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it's probably the worst selling of all of them. It's gotta be up there with I don't the, know uh, that would be a close battle between it and Beautiful Joe yeah I mean they tried a couple you know what they, so they, they re-released it they like re-released three times yeah I mean they did the Wii the Wii version and uh, with the IGN logo on the on the box art right yeah and um, <laughs> love it that was one of my <laughs> favorite so great oh beautiful yeah those of you and, that don't know they actually mass manufactured the box art for the GameCube version the Wii version the Wii version sorry it came out on the GameCube IGN's and then logo on the box art because they had taken the image, which I still can't comprehend this. It's amazing. They had taken the image from IGN's website and then used that to mass produce the yeah. game. They had, like the, I mean, it wasn't fully there, so what it had clearly been photoshopped in, right. but they clearly got the original image watermarked from IGN and they never cleaned it up. It's right, it's right there in front of, like next to the dog's head. Like Shouldn't it's almost they dead have center. The original art. You would think. <laughs> And then, like, and then as a result, they like you know they did all this like apology oh. stuff, and they sent they sent out like just these beautiful alternate cover like slipcase cover yeah. things for the case. I still have all of them; they're wonderful. I mean, yeah. I'm totally worth the screw up with the IGN logo to get those beautiful covers for the for the Wii version. But that's the main thing I remember about the Wii version. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. like that. And then they did an HD version for uh, PlayStation Three, which is also beautiful. It's gorgeous. And I mean, that's what I think anyone would agree with that. This game is absolutely beautiful. It has the whole paintbrush mechanic in there, where you actually mm-hmm. use like a—is it a calligraphy, calligraphy it's brush? It's like calligraphy brush, a magic calligraphy brush. Yeah. That you use to manipulate the environments and solve puzzles with. Uh, it's you know it's, it's super super like long. A, like a, it is, it's really it's long. Gig- like it's the game. You think it's over? Like you think you play the a length of like a normal game, and it's like, oh, by the way, that was the prologue. Yeah, like it's, you're a third of the way through. It's basically Black Platinum's take on Zelda. Is yeah, really what it's it very is. much a Zelda. I and you know at the time it came out around the time Wind Waker, and uh, a lot of people are like, oh, it's it's better. It's a better Zelda game. Yeah. than Wind Waker. <laughs> I don't know if I fully agree with that, but yeah. it is one of the best Zelda games ever made. Yeah. Even though it's not a Zelda game. Yeah. 
Because people don't really try to make Zelda games, unfortunately. And it's super charming. If you love if you love dogs at all, you'll love this one. Yeah, um, the art obviously is amazing. Art's the beautiful. Graphical graphic style is incredible. It's uh, and you get your money's worth. Believe me, it's it goes on and on and on and on, but it never feels like they're just like running, running through through the same stuff over. It's always something new. Yeah, it does a great job of constantly. It's just like Zelda of constantly yeah. feeding you new items and weapons that you can use. It and then there that's worked into the puzzles and the traversal mm. and it's a great game. So I think we can both agree that our favorite game of those four is Okami. For sure. But which one do you think they should make? Devil May Cry. Yeah. So, I mean, selfishly, I want another Okami. But if, if, I, if in the best interest of Platinum's, you know, pocketbook and shareholders, I'd say Devil May Cry. I'd agree. I think it has to be Devil May Cry. And yeah. I think, honestly, like, basically, you can go and vote right now on this on their Twitter page. So go do that and make your voice heard. I mean, I'm still going to vote for Okami. Tell us you hate us because we didn't pick Beautiful <laughs> Joe or whatever. But I have a feeling when that poll's all tallied up, Devil May Cry will probably win the poll. Although the people will probably have a little write-in at the bottom that'll say, like, Original Dante or whatever. Because mm. I feel like people do not want, like, a Reboot 2. They don't want DMC 2. They no. want Devil May Cry 5. I just don't know if you can have a guy in a red trench coat going, Slow down, babe! Like, yeah. you know, I don't know if this is really going to fly. He just seems like such a... Well, here was the thing, too, about the reboot, is that, you know... It, he eventually kind of transforms more into the old Dante as the right. game goes on. It's like people just got all up in arms because he starts with like the dark hair and whatnot, but like he changes throughout the game to be a little more closely to like the original Dante mm. anyway. So I think it's got to be Devil May Cry. Yeah. I don't think any of those other properties, sadly, are viable financially. I would agree with that. I think all. Three I don't want of them, to agree with it, but I, I don't either. I, but I think all three of them would fail miserably. Yeah. I think we're in total agreement on this. We yeah. both like Okami the best, <laughs> but we both agree that Devil May Cry is the one that will financially yeah. make the most. You sense can't for. always get what you want. Yeah, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, if I was gonna, if I was a shareholder, I would want them to do Devil May Cry of those four. Yep. Does, I mean, just for the sheer fact that they already have five of them out there. Yeah, and because like I think it's the best. You have the best shot of attracting someone who hasn't played one of those games before. I don't feel like the others are going to pull you in. Yeah. The way the way that uh, you know, if you do Dante right, if you do the design right, if you you know make it big and flashy and pretty and and you know playable, which they will, which they will for sure. Uh, I think you'll get you'll get attention in a way that you wouldn't from the others. All right. Let's move on to the last topic of the big six, and this is just a fun little topic. We like to do on our shows right before Thanksgiving. Again, something we used to do on Invisible Walls I wanted to bring over to Game Face. And basically, this is just us giving thanks for awesome stuff for Thanksgiving. Obviously, that's what the holiday is all about, is giving thanks for great things in your life. Matt, do you what do you want to give thanks for? CD Projekt Red. Uh, the makers of The Witcher 3. Uh, and God, I mean, CD Projekt also runs GOG, which is a right. great alternate service, and I've gotten to play... X-Wing and TIE Fighter and all these games I never thought I'd get to play on a modern system again. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and so they, they definitely, you know, those guys, that, that those, those wacky Polish guys who did all these things that, like, everyone said was impossible, you know, make, make a, a massive multi-million selling, you know, you know RP, action RPG series out of a book series no one's ever heard of outside of the East, Eastern Europe. Like, they did it, you know, going from Witcher 1 to Witcher 3, like, you see that it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. It's crazy. Even with a three on the end of it. Like, yeah. they still sold that many. 
You got to wonder if the guy has been voicing Geralt all this time. Is like Jesus Christ! <laughs> like, what is going on? You know? um, yeah. And uh, he, you know, he went from voicing this like nothing like English localization of some Polish RPG on PC to voicing like nationally broadcast commercials for this game. Yeah, like, that's a crazy transition. And then their you know their GOG stuff is fantastic and has let me play stuff that I didn't think I'd ever get to play again. And so yeah, they uh, CD Projekt makes uh, makes life better. And has this year for sure. I just I went back to Witcher Three again. Well, they've done everything right. Yeah, the initial game was great. Had a few bugs here and there, but I feel like a lot of people. But they worked really, really hard to fix it. Yeah. Well, here's so. the other thing though too. I feel like people have been digging into the Witcher Three like way harder than it deserves because a yeah. lot of people I feel like are trying to rationalize like giving. Because you're starting to see like the Game of the Year conversations happening mm-hmm. on podcasts right now, and I feel like a lot of people are trying really hard to rationalize why they would give Game of the Year to Fallout over The Witcher Three. And look, they could have a million reasons why they would. It could be. They just like the subject matter of Fallout more than The Witcher. Witcher's so like they a... really, really like Fallout 3. Right. <laughs> it's the exactly. best reason to be. Right, me. exactly. I... Which is fine. But I feel like people are trying to find like ways to ding The Witcher 3. And so they keep bringing up all these bugs. And I'm like, you know what? I didn't really experience a whole lot of bugs. Look, if you're trying to champion Fallout 4... Don't, let's not get bugs into a bug is not comparison. a good idea. Let's, yeah. But that's what they're doing. When people are saying, well, it's kind of buggy, they're like, well, The Witcher 3 was really buggy. Like That just mm. seems to be like kind of their fallback. Yeah, but so. The Witcher 3 is mostly fixed now. It is, yeah. There, it did have a lot of bugs, but they were, you know, that thing is up to like, like it's like 1.11 now. I oh, mean, yeah. they put out tons and they've of done. Spaces. Look, they gave away tons of free, free DLC. The stuff that you've paid for is worth it. And then some, like, they just, it, you nailed yeah. it. CD Projekt Red... Just did everything exactly. Yeah, right. everything right, and they do it with you and you know us in mind, with the customer in, in mind as best they can, and they extend that philosophy to Gog, and Gog is a great you know a great service that brings back stuff that like good memories and good times, and uh, you know I'm glad they're there. And they're not illegally sourcing keys. Yeah, that's also <laughs> nice. It's also good. Unlike some of those other services <laughs> out there. Yeah. Uh, well, because they own most of the stuff they put up. Exactly. Like. Oh, that's oh, the other thing is they own their mistakes too. You remember the time they said that Gog was shutting down? Yeah, yeah. I and remember like that. you're all going to have to download your stuff. And we're all going away, and yeah. they turn out to be. Oh, actually, we were just announcing that. It says something that like people like forgave them for that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because for a lot of other companies, that would have been death. Yeah. Cyberpunk 2077 in the works right now. Yeah, I hope so. I hope a new Witcher is down the line, or the new Witcher. That may be a while. Probably. That's going to be a while. <laughs> well, yeah. We won't see it this gen, that's for sure. But one day, there will be a new Witcher. Yeah. And I'll be glad to go back to that world, because I know they're going to take care of it. Yep. That's a good pick, man. So thank you, CD Projekt Red, for yep. being you. Yep. So, it's very easy for me on Thanksgiving to thank the Sifters. Um, I just, from the bottom of my heart, I just want to thank all of you, especially the people who jumped in right at the beginning. Because when I first started talking about the site, it was all conjecture and ideas. And in all honesty, when the site launched, it didn't have half of the stuff that it was supposed to have. Like, it didn't have the form. It just, you know, I'd made a lot of promises or things that were coming, and you guys believed in me, and you believed me, period. And, uh, you know, not only that, like, you put your money down. And, uh... You know, looking back now, here we are six months later, like, we just launched the forums, like, it took us a while to get the referral system going, like, you know, all this stuff has taken way longer than I ever thought it would, and look, I'm 
feel awful about it, but at the same time, I've done everything I can to get it all done in time. But, you know, you guys believed in an idea, and not only believed in it, you're willing to invest in it and put your money down. And I just, you know, looking back now, like the first, you know, rush of people who subscribed literally like the day the beta ended and you guys just put your cards up and even going back and looking at that old Q&A thread that we launched and just seeing the enthusiasm from you guys I just I we wouldn't be sitting here right now if it wasn't for you guys like the money that you guys put down at the beginning built a little nest egg for the site uh, that helped us you know fund a lot of things to be able to do this show every week and it's just Oh, ever, forever. No matter what happens to this site, like I will always be in debt to you guys, and I will always appreciate what you did, uh, believing in an idea that I came up with, and I hope ultimately that everything has kind of worked out the way that you hoped. I'm ultimately really happy with the with what the site's become. I'm more than happy with the with what the community has become. Um, you guys have been incredible. Like honestly, I think just this last week we had our first real argument on Sifted. <laughs> I don't know if you saw it or not, but two guys just started going at it, and like, it was the first time I really saw. Oh, I thought you meant us with the censorship thing. No, uh -uh, no, no. <laughs> that was just a spirited discussion. Like there was an on-site oh, okay. like two guys going after each other over and over, and like. Okay, so that almost took a year, though. I mean, that was. Well, well no, it's been it six, six months. months. Yeah. That's a long time. Yeah. So what I'm saying is that like you know a lot of those concepts ended up working, like you know requiring mm -hmm. a subscription so that people are invested in the community so that they just don't come in and act like jerks because they don't care because they're not they don't have any skin in the game so all that has worked and i hope ultimately the site i mean the site is honestly almost done i mean we have really almost reached completion forums going well the forums work great uh there's still a bunch of features on the forums that are yet to come user to user messaging our private forums crews are still on the way just little tweaks but like all the it's feature complete now i guess is the best way to put it like all the features that i promise are pretty much in there at this point and so i just want to thank you for your patience i want to thank you for your forward thinking and for believing in the idea and me in all honesty um i just I'll be 80 years old, and I'll always remember this. I'll be laying in my nursing home. Someone will be feeding me through a tube, and I'll be like, <laughs> those first people that believed in me. Like, I just It's hard to put it into words, man, when you just come up with an idea, and you go for it, and then you have people that believe in you. So thank you so much. I hope all of you guys have an amazing Thanksgiving and an amazing holiday season in general. But, uh, yeah, on Thanksgiving, it really makes you reflect on things, and uh, I just it just keeps coming back to you guys. So thank you so much. Um, I can't say it enough. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. I don't think my words would ever do it justice. So you sifters rock. Bro fist. <laughs> I think I just stole that from PewDiePie maybe. Mm. I hope not. But I mean it from the bottom of my heart. So we're going to wrap up the show with our trailer of the week. This week's trailer was way better than last week's, which was the bottom of the barrel, which be. was UFC yeah. Sports UFC 2. This week, it's the debut trailer for Valkyria Azure. I think that's how you say yeah, it. Azure, yeah. Azure Revolution, which is, if you guys remember, Valkyria Chronicles, which was like this awesome, like, turn-based strategy game with this crazy, like, watercolor, cel-shaded mm -hmm. aesthetic. Has a huge kind of niche 
I don't know if we call it niche. It had a pretty big following. A pretty big following. Yeah. Lot, I know a couple of people that think that first game is the best game ever made. Well, that's that's a little bit much. But. It's, it's strong, <laughs> but like that's how much like the concept and the art style and everything in it can appeal to people. Yeah. It's a very appealing game. Yeah, there are people who really love the original game. So here's the rub, though. This new game is actually different. It's like an RPG. I guess it's like an action RPG. I don't even know if it's even a turn-based game. They haven't released a ton about it yet. Um, they did say today there's permadeath in the game. Wow. And then if one of your characters dies, it oh, alters yeah. the story on down the road. So that's a pretty big deal. But anyway, I think this trailer is awesome. I think the game looks awesome. Here is its debut trailer. Roll it. doing a deep dive today because we want to for our special thanksgiving episode to answer as many questions as possible so um, i actually reached out on social media earlier today on our twitter feed and let you guys know we were doing this so hopefully you guys have some questions ready matt do you have one yet um we got one from uh dog face pig which is uh, what games do you expect to be announced in the next 11 days vgas has 10 world premieres jeff confirmed and uh, playstation experience can honestly be anything uh, and so what, what do you think? He's, he's suggesting that maybe one of the VGA ones might be a Valve game. Um, he wants, wants to find out what Sony Bend is working on. It's probably time for a new God of War announcement. Uh, what do you think? Sony Bend's game, definitely. I, mm. It's got to be there. I mean, it's been in development for like two years now. I thought we would have seen it a long time before now. Um, Jeff does a good job working with U.S. developers generally for mm. a lot of the reveals for not just... The Game Awards, but every show that he works on, uh, I would say the seventy percent certainty Sony Ben's game. I would also say maybe we get a glimpse at the Amy Hennig Star Wars game that they're working on at EA. Maybe a quick mm. teaser or something along those lines. Timing's perfect. Battlefronts just released. The movie's coming out. Seems I think that's optimistic, but it would explain why they're starting to pop up in the media yep. a little more. See, Amy Hennig was just yeah. at that conference. She did all those interviews with Jade Raymond. Like, all of it's starting to align. EA's already said they want to have a Star Wars game out every year from here on out. It makes perfect sense. They show the first teaser at the Game Awards. A year later, it comes out. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's probably... The timing makes sense. I guess it just depends if it's in a position to be seen. Yep. Um, I'm sure there'll be a ton of indie games unveiled for the first time at the Video Game Awards. Um, Jeff does a good job with those with those uh, groups as well, getting stuff in there. Um, Jeff's also really good with Nintendo, so I wouldn't be surprised if you get another look at Zelda. More than the 10 seconds yeah, we discussed Yeah, I would expect something Nintendo-related for sure. If you remember correctly, last year they had like the demo that they did where mm-hmm. it was kind of like shot off screen with like Miyamoto sitting on a couch yeah. or whatever. like. 
I wouldn't be surprised if we get more Zelda. I mean, I'm sure there's going to be something from Nintendo there. There always is. Jeff works really well with those guys. In fact, I think he actually produces some of their directs, believe it or not. He's like one of the producers behind some of the directs that they've done, some of the pre-recorded ones that they do. Um, so, yeah. Obviously, it's hard to predict much more than that based upon the fact that pretty much every game just came out and we're six months out from E3. But I wouldn't be surprised to see like another look at Rhyme, some of the more like mm. low-key like PlayStation games that are coming out, like some of the more indie stuff, and I'd be really happy to see another look at Rhyme, to be honest with you. Um, maybe, I mean, Uncharted. I don't, know if they're gonna, I don't know if Uncharted will be at the Game Awards or if it'll be at PSX. Maybe both. Yeah. I mean, we're coming down, here's the thing, we're coming down the home stretch for Uncharted now. Yeah, it's only four months away. And there's no other real big opportunity for them to, to really promote it. Yeah. So there's GDC in March, and that's pretty much that's, it. That's getting real close to the And you don't though. really blow out games like that at GDC. So yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if you see new Uncharted stuff at both, at both PSX yeah. and at the Game Awards. So that's what I would say. Cool. Uh, Helters asks, what do each of you predict GameStop's next move will be in light of their decline? It may be too late. Yeah. Because here's the problem. They've missed the digital boat. Yeah. They were way too late to adopt it. They fought it way too long. They were going on record. And now nobody thinks of them when it comes to digital stuff. No. Well, you don't have to. That's the thing. If you, like, I noticed on Pactor Factor, he was talking about it. It's like somebody was asking, one of the questions that they asked him was, you know, do you ever see Nintendo's games on Steam? You know, if they go third party or whatever, would you ever see Nintendo's games on Steam? And Patrick was right. He's like, no, because Nintendo already has the eShop. And mm-hmm. every publisher can make their own marketplace where they don't let somebody else take a cut of it. So, yeah. yeah. It, it, like, there's no reason to work with a GameStop for your digital no. distribution. And, of course, you know... They're, they fought digital as hard as they did because most of their revenue comes from the used games because that's yep. where the profit margins are. And digital means that's gone. Yep. So you're going to... I mean, I think they're basically going to slowly starve to death over the next 10 years. I'd agree. I mean, unless they... They have to make a major move. I mean, they would have to launch something that just kicks Steam's butt sideways. Yeah, I mean, they would, they would have, have to, to create, be the next like, Steam. Which is really what they should be doing. Like, right now, they should be dumping all their money into creating the ultimate digital marketplace. Mm-hmm. I mean, the ultimate. I mean, everyone thinks Steam is awesome. And look, it's taken Steam... How many years has Steam been around now? Eight years? 2004, at least. I... So, 10, 11 years. 11 years. Yeah, look how long like... it's taken Valve, a great company, smart company, to build Steam into what it is now. Mm-hmm. So, if you're asking GameStop to try to assert yeah, that... Took, I mean, I signed up for Steam when Half-Life 2 came out. Yeah. Um, to play Half-Life 2. Yeah. And then I think I didn't touch it again for like four years. I think you're right. You know, yeah. like it was, I mean, it took like... Well, at first, people didn't even really know what it was. No. It's just like, okay, you're making me sign up for and this. And now, I think, you know, and there's a lot of smart stuff they've done, but now, I can't imagine Christmas without Steam. Yeah, I know. Like, the holiday sale is like part of my, like, holiday routine now. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's all part of that. But going back to what you were saying as well, like, I don't think it was really worth touching for four or five years. Like, yeah, the service sure, yeah. needed a lot of work, and so I think where, that's where I'm getting the eight-year thing from. It's mm-hmm. because that's probably where I came back to it, and it became a viable service that I actually wanted to right. use regularly. But also, on top of that, it's like, no one ever distrusted Valve, really. You know, yeah. like, GameStop launching a uh, some kind of market service like that, I mean... Everybody's already kind of skeptical about that company anyway, and we don't really like going there. But like, we yeah. have to go there if you right. want certain pre-order bonuses yeah. or like whatever to sell yeah. your games off. To, you know, people need it for the trade-in value idea because like, mo- you know, it, it's just 
I don't know how they evolve to survive what's coming. They waited too long. Yeah. They waited too long. And not only that, they went on the record like fighting it, fighting digital, like yeah. saying it was never going to happen. It was a bad idea. People want physical games. I mean, look, I'll be honest with you. Like, I'm shocked at how much digital has caught on. Yeah. Like, I'm shocked at how much digital I buy. I don't. Like, I, I honestly don't buy any digital, which I is still, why I can't believe how much has caught on. Everyone, I mean, I've bought several games digitally that, like, and part of it's just being lazy. But, yeah. but like, part of it is, like, also, part of it's also, like, lazy on the level of, like, oh, if it's, if it's like, a multiplayer, like, Battlefront, I bought that digitally so I wouldn't have to put a disc in every time I want to play. <laughs> because I'm uh, playing other things at the right. same time. Like, I don't want to yeah. take what I'm out, what I'm playing, and put in that, and then take that out and put it, you know, it's, it's faster if I can just go, oh, I'll just jump in and play a little bit. Right. And, like, uh, there's been several games I've had pre-orders on at GameStop that I ended up buying digitally because I didn't feel like going to their stupid Just midnight launch thing. Up. <laughs> and I wanted, to, and I was going to get to play it sooner because it went live at 9 p.m. Pacific. Right, right. And so you know, and eventually GameStop did change that policy, and now they sell it at nine here because yeah. uh, it goes live at midnight right, Eastern. Right. Um, but still, there's points where I'm like, well, I could drive there, wait in line for like 40 minutes, and like get the thing and then drive home and play it, or I could play it at now. Yeah. yeah you know, <laughs> Although, how did that work out for you for Battlefront? Battlefront was a problem. <laughs> you got burned. But now I know to always pick up a physical copy of an EA game. Right. There so. you go. So yeah, I would say the prospect. I mean, if I had GameStop stock, I would sell it. I guess that's the best way to put it. <laughs> and it looks like a lot of people have like. Yeah, so your official answer from Shane, bail out. Yeah, sell the stock, get out of there. Um, Danny Endurance says, what new, I, what new IP from this year needs a sequel the most? Let me think of new IPs this year. Yeah, they're not easy to think of, are they? <laughs> um, That's a good question. It is. Transformers Devastation. That's not I would IP. like to... Well, it kind of is. It's a new take on an old IP. I think there is. I mean, I think they've got they've got another couple sequels lined up for that, from what I read. Splatoon is a good one. I think that's a given. Yeah. I, mean, I wouldn't be. What was that? What was that? Uh, that strategy game that Nintendo put out on a 3DS that bombed. Project Steam. Project Steam. I wouldn't mind seeing them take another crack at that. I don't know. I like the steampunk Abraham Lincoln fighting robot <laughs> thing. That's up my alley. It's pretty bizarre. I think, yeah, I mean, Splatoon is definitely a given, but I think yeah. he's asking, like, which ones would we like to see? And I'd, like, yeah, I'd like to see... Um, uh, I haven't played enough of it, really, but uh, I would like to see uh, more done with Until Dawn. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's a good one, too. Mm-hmm. Life is Strange. I'd love to see a sequel to that. I don't know really where they take the story. They kind of put the cap on it, no matter which... Maybe just, just another something in that vein that could possibly be like a, maybe not like a sequel directly, but like a, another story in that universe kind of idea. I don't know how you even do that, but it's like you know, like Twilight Zone, like an anthology series. Sort yeah. Of thing. New IPs, though, there aren't very many. There's not a lot. <laughs> the, really? order. Yeah, 80, yeah, the order. Yeah, the order. There you go. <laughs> um, what else? They're really everything was like a sequel this year. Every big game. Yeah, I mean that's of, just the way it is anymore. And a lot of stuff that I've played that's like new IPs are like early access Steam things that aren't even done yet. Yeah. so I can't really say I. I mean, want there's a tons sequel. of indie stuff, obviously. Yeah. But it's like a big budget new IP, there just isn't a bunch. Yeah. Like I would like to see um, a follow up to. I've been playing a game called Rebel Galaxy on on Steam. Yeah. Uh, which is like it's very Firefly-ish in terms of like I like kind of country western sensibility to like a space sim sort of yeah. thing uh, it plays like uh, Assassin's Creed's uh, ship combat 
So it's like okay. broadsides and like yeah, capital yeah. ships and stuff. But I don't think it's actually finished. So like asking for a sequel seems a little premature. Yeah. But I mean, um, I could go on and on about indie games. There's yeah dozens of indie games. But in games terms of like major new too. IP, uh, I'm trying to think of things I played <laughs> this year. That Here's we... the thing: all the new IP hasn't really turned out to be all that great. So well, yeah, yeah. A lot of it's coming next year. A lot of the new IP, like as far as like big budget new IPs, are coming next year. And mm-hmm. they generally, that's generally how it works. Like the first year, they get all the sequels out there because they're known quantities. They want people to buy the consoles, and then they kind of start experimenting a little oh, Bloodborne. Yeah. I mean, well, it's still kind of Dark Souls, but like... Well, I think they just said this week that there's not going to be a sequel to Bloodborne. Yeah. And actually, they said they're ending, like, all the Souls Bloodborne games. Well, 3 is still coming. Right. After that, it's out. Like, that's the last one is what they're saying now. We'll see. Believe we'll see one. whatever their stockholders I believe that one, it doesn't sales. happen. Yeah. But I think, honestly, probably Bloodborne, if you were to ask most people, would be the game everyone would want a sequel to. Just personally, I'm not a huge fan of it, so... Um... Will we be getting a packed, new episode of Pactor Factor over the holiday weekend, asks Ian Esquire. Yes, there'll be a new episode of Pactor Factor going up this Saturday. And we're actually shooting a new, and I'm glad you brought that up, we're shooting a new round of episodes of Pactor Factor next week. So there's actually a thread in the forums right now where people are brainstorming questions to make sure we get really good ones. Um, but you can just follow the, the instructions on the show, and you can ask them through Twitter using the hashtag... Um, we're also going to put up an article here in the next couple of days to uh, ask you guys for questions. So, show, new round of shows filming next week, and so you'll be look, you'll be able to find a lot of uh, ways to ask your questions on the site. So don't worry about that. And here's one: following the retail sales of video, and this is from Petamil. Following the retail sales of video games on VG Charts, which isn't accurate, by the way. I just figured I'd let you know that. It seems like game sales are going down year over year. How much do you think the digital sales are eating out? The retail, eating at the retail. Um, a lot. A lot. I mean, yeah, it's not like more than I think retail expected it to. Well, today GameStop, here's something funny. Today GameStop says that it was Halo 5, Syndicate, and Battlefront. They said all three games sold less than they want, they expected at retail. And then two hours later, EA puts out an announcement that says... Battlefront was its best-selling digital game ever. Wow. So I think that's there's the proof of the pudding right there. <laughs> that yeah. answers like the whole question. Maybe a lot of other a people lot. are too lazy to change the disc <laughs> just like me. A lot. Because they're saying, hey, we have really bad sales for these games we thought we were getting good, get good sales from. And then EA says, well, yeah, because we sold, we sold a ton on, on digital. So a lot. And a lot more than I would have thought. And a lot more than I would have definitely would have thought if you'd asked me that question like two years ago. So... Hmm. Yeah, I think it's taken a huge dent out. Good question. Um, Sublevel28 <laughs> wants to know, what's, what's your wish for a Yule gift? For what? Uh, Yule, Christmas gift. Oh, what do I want for a what Christmas gift? What do you want gift? for Christmas? I'm at the point where, like, I don't really want anything, man. I have I'm, I have everything I need. Like, I'm not really... That... You, isn't there anything, like, big and stupid that you wouldn't buy for yourself that you want? A house. Like, well, that's all that I've that's left. That's not stupid. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> a house. I don't own a house. I'm at the age of Matt, and I still live in an apartment. And, like, houses are so expensive in L.A. Like, I honestly just don't know if I'll ever be able to afford one. I really want a garage. Yeah, I mean, well, that kind of comes as part yeah. of the house. That's what, I mean, I have a garage. I put my car in my apartment building. Yeah. But, I'm like, I want. I mean, like, a big room where I can put boxes. Yeah. Like, that's, I mean, you want storage. That's, yeah, that's yeah. I, I mean, I honestly don't buy anything anymore. I really don't. 
Like, I buy where, like, I'm at the point in my life where I'm, like, the guy that just wants, like, underwear and socks for Christmas. <laughs> like, I wear out, mm. like, the few pairs of jeans I wear. I get a new pair of jeans. Like, I have, I mean, I'm lucky in a lot of ways. I have yeah. all the consoles I want. I have a nice TV. I have a decent surround sound system. I'm really simple, like. I'm putting some Lego sets on my list, I think. Yeah. I have a decent car. Things. Like, I don't know. I'm pretty simple, man. I'm pretty happy to please. I, here's what I want for Christmas. I want Sifted. unless you're a game developer, right? Right. <laughs> I want Sifted to go off. I want Gifted to do really well over the holidays. That's what I want for Christmas. I right. want subscribers to really build. That's really all I care about. Other than my wife, is Sifted doing well? So I guess that's my one Christmas wish. Justin Horman, if you were to construct a robot to be the CEO of a game company, <laughs> how would you have it educated, and what experience would you like it to have? Marketing, programming, etc. A CEO of a gaming company, I would just want him to be a gamer. That's it. Mm. I think that's hard. That's too much to ask for now. I think it's really hard. Like, I really want people who are a part of the industry with me and have been for the last 20 years or whatever to start taking over these roles. Because right now you have a bunch of old fuddy-duddies doing these jobs that don't play games. And the sooner those people can get out the better it's going to be for all of us because they're going to understand games. They're going to understand what the players want. They're going to care what the players want. They're not going to be, you know, fuddy dudes. Mm -hmm. like, I know what's best for this company. Um, you know, I think Pactor caught a lot of crap because he was uh, he was very uh, vocal about his his dislike for what Awada did as a CEO. Liked the guy personally and thought he was a great mm -hmm. guy, but didn't feel like he made the right decisions for Nintendo. And look, Awada wasn't that old, obviously. He died young. But still, he was kind of like the old boys club at Nintendo. He had been there for a long time. And like, I just feel like we need fresh blood in the industry in general. And the fresh blood is the perspective of people like us, who more than anything, like if I didn't have this job, I'd still be doing the same crap I do every night, which is playing frickin' video games until I fall asleep with the controller in my lap. Like, it's just, it's never gonna change. I've been doing it since I was, like, four years old with an Atari 2600. Like, it just, it's who I am. And so, I feel like people like that need to be in charge and in power um, mm -hmm. at the highest levels. And the business part, you can hire somebody to handle, you can hire a CFO to handle the finances. I just feel like you need that passion for actually playing video games because then you'll guide the company on the right path for the other people who have that same passion. I'd agree with that. So would Bing Gordon. <laughs> uh, here's, is this from Helters? Is this right? Helters, yeah. Uh, with Sony announcing PS2 backwards compatibility for the PS4 and Xbox 360 to X1, how do you think this will affect remakes and remasters? Not hmm. much. Well, I don't know. I don't know if that's going to really catch up to itself very quickly because, like, you're still not improving them when you're doing backwards compatibility, really. Yeah. And even, like, I mean, Gears of War, like, you, you, if you got the Gears of War remaster and you played it before, like, December 4th or something, then you got Gears of War 1, 2, 3, and Judgment backwards compatibility downloads for free. Right. Um, why are you giving me Gears of War 1? Yeah. Like, when I already have a better version of Gears right. of War 1 to play, I, you know, it's just like, it's just a thing. You know, I guess, I guess people, people enjoy having the disc and... I think it could affect it, though, go. It could, but like, what, like, what are... Some publishers are going to look at it like, why will we bother spending all this money on this if they can just mm -hmm. play it? Sure, it well, may not look quite as good as the remaster, 
Right. But my problem is like my only problem in that regard is like I think that is going to be EA's excuse for not remastering Mass Effect. Um, which I would absolutely play a remastered Mass Effect yeah. um, series, and like, I you know, EA says they don't do that, they don't do remasters. We want to look forward. Da, 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 yeah, da. we'll hold. We'll see how that um, goes. But like, I mean, you're leaving money on the table if you don't remaster the Mass Effect trilogy for modern systems. I think. Yeah. But like, instead, but I they think also have they Andromeda can... coming. So true. But what better way to build hype for Andromeda? Than to say like, hey, it's here's too late now. <laughs> well, actually, who knows? They could probably cr- you could crank scrap that, that could, together real quick. You could throw that thing out in July next year in the summer drought. You're probably right. Great. It'd be great. And then put out Andromeda in Q4 or whatever. Right. Okay. Uh, here's one. Um, Playland MX says, "Are you going to do anything else with Mr. Pactor? I like him answering questions, but would love to watch him as a, on a more freestyle kind of show, like when he was a guest at Bonus Round." That's interesting. Um, we were just actually pitched an idea, and I can't talk about it too much. I'm not actually under an NDA, but out of respect to the people who pitched the show to us, I'm not going to divulge too much about it. But we were pitched another show idea where. I don't know how much I can say. Yeah. <laughs> it's a possibility, I guess, is what I can say. Uh, other pe- some people have seen Pactor's show and uh, love him and have a vested, not a vested interest, but they would like to see him do more. Mm-hmm. And uh, they would like us to produce whatever it is that he does more under the same model that we have now where it would premiere on Sifted and then be free on YouTube like a week or two later. So there's a possibility. Um, we're still trying to figure out. I mean, Packer's a really busy guy. Like, It's a dance competition show, I'll just <laughs> tell you. Packer's really busy, and it's hard to just find time to shoot our show. Um, and so doing another one might be a little tough. And so we have to figure out if like you guys would care about it, first of all, um, because it's not a dance show. I know you would watch a dance show, Packer. <laughs> um, so some, I would. There's some stuff going on behind the scenes right now um, with Pactor and another show idea. So that's pretty much all I can say right now. Danny Endurance wants to know which game development team that has shut down would you resurrect? Mm. Huh. I would resurrect uh, Team Andromeda, which was uh, the old Sega team that made the Panzer Dragoon games. I would resurrect Westwood. Hmm. I mean, That's a good one. You just go down the list for all those. Yeah, you know, EA everything down. EA's ever closed. Was just, <laughs> I would yeah. say, I was a, actually, there's a lot of old Sega teams I would resurrect. I would re- resurrect uh, Wave Master, the, yeah. the sound design team, and uh, the music team, and uh, um, the AM2. Old, old AM2, uh, Hitmaker, um, all yeah. the, all those old Sega teams. Sadly, Sonic Team still exists. In some form, <laughs> some shambling zombie. That's the one that should have been shut down. That's the ironic part. Yeah. Uh, what else? I think that's a pretty good list. Overworks, yes. Case money. That's a good pick. Overworks. Yep. Uh, Joe Thor eighty four. Did Jonathan Blow's game ever come out? Nope. Not yet. <laughs> I'm assuming you're talking about the Witness. Slated for January right now. It's pretty close. Yeah, they just put a like. You can find it on Sifted. There's like a, an environmental flyover that they just put out. Uh, this week, showing off kind of like the terrain in the game, um, but yeah, it's coming. It's like it's like January. It's like a month away mm-hmm. or two months away. So it should be here soon. Let's just answer two more, if there are two more. Um, 
SMC92ian says, if you could make any game no limit or budget, what would it be? Oh boy. I've talked about this before. I want... I just... I generally want games set in different cultures. Like, I'm tired of, like, the military, whatever, the adventurer. So one thing I've always brought up is, like, a game set in the rave scene. Where you're interacting with promoters and DJs and you're traveling all over the world and kind of navigating that whole environment. Mm. Um, and then you wanted a game tie into We Are Your Friends. Is right. What you're saying. <laughs> yeah. Um, but big, d- big bomb of a movie earlier this year. No one saw it. Don't feel bad. And I'm sure this game would totally bomb, by the way. Like, this isn't a game I would make to, like, make money. This is just a game that I think would be interesting and I think a certain segment of people would find interesting. There's that game. I also have a concept for, and this is, may offend some people, but an animal fighting game. <laughs> Literally, where you fight, like, dogs and, like, chickens. It's kind of Tokyo Jungle. It is a little a bit. Sense. Like, I mean, this was an idea that I had. Would, that would be all in the setup, I think. If, if, you know, as long as it wasn't, like, Michael Vick in a ring, I think you'd probably... You could well, basically, my whole out. idea, and I don't care, I'm never going to make it, obviously, because I'm not a game developer, and I probably never will be, but the whole concept was that you had... You played the human with the left stick, and then you had the pet on the right stick, and then you used the four shoulder buttons, and, and this probably wouldn't work, and having played a lot of games, I pretty much guarantee it wouldn't work, but that's pretty much all the controls, and then the varying degrees that you hit the stick alters the, the attacks for each one. So the two buttons on the left are the two attacks for the human, and then the two, the two shoulder buttons on the right are the attacks for the pet. So it would be either the dog or a chicken or whatever. Mm. And then the, the world kind of scrolls at you, and you kind of control these two separate beings with the sticks while the enemies in the world kind of rushes at you. Mm. <laughs> it sounds crazy. <laughs> and it's like, you would, I don't know if you would necessarily fight like your dog against somebody else's dog, but it's kind of like a human plus their pet, like versus the world, possibly versus other humans versus mm. pets. I know yeah. that sounds insane. That's the type of stuff I think about, though. Yeah. I would make. Uh, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> sure. I would. The game that's been in my head for a long time uh, is I would make a big open world, like. Like, I'm talking, like, Just Cause size. If you guys make that game, by the way, you got to yeah, pay me royalties. Yeah, suit. Be honest. Uh, just Cause size kind of open world game, except um, it would be set in feudal Japan. It would be ninjas. It would be like Tenshu, but the original Tenshu game, but open world. Interesting. Um, just because I feel like... I'm inter- I like open world stuff, but I feel like it's all too modern, and I would love to play a game like... Um, I mean, Witcher kind of has a little bit of that, but yeah. I, but I would love to play a game that like plays like the the stealth and and brutal violence techniques of uh, of uh, Tenchu, but with the kind of open freedom and sort of the and also like I mean like really researched like historically architecturally sound yeah. kind of like recreation of Japan in like, so it's a little bit like Yakuza but. In yeah, feudal Japan. Feudal Japan, Yakuza, except, you know, more... I mean, Tenchu is really the touchstone on that, because I love Tenchu, or what the old Tenchus, yeah. and I wish it was still around. I remember um, the Tenchu on the, play, the original PlayStation was oh, some yeah. good stuff. All right, one last question before we got to go. Favorite movie of the year so far? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I would have to think about that. Hmm... 
Yeah, I don't know what it would be. I honestly don't watch a ton of movies. I haven't seen any real movies in the theater since, like, July. Like, I just kind of fell out of it. Yeah, I don't go to the movies hardly at all anymore. And I've been watching so much TV. There's so much good TV now. Like, I don't yeah. have to watch a ton of movies. And, like, nothing's really come across where someone's like, you need to see this. I mean, I guess I would say, did Ex Machina come out this year? Yeah, it did. That's it. Yeah. That's a good pick. That's my favorite movie I've seen this year. You got one? Not really. Hopefully it's Star Wars. Yeah, I hope it's Star Wars. That'd be nice. (laughs) That's what we're praying for. I thought it was going to be Avengers, but it wasn't. Yeah, definitely not. I actually liked Ant-Man better than Avengers. Wow. And Fantastic Four was terrible. I didn't even see that. Much like the rest of the world. They just canceled the sequel. Yeah. Give it back to Marvel. Yeah. All right. So that's going to do it for Game Phase 31. (laughs) I like... Uh, Goji Gogo says, I would make a volleyball game. I hear there's an untapped market. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Good one, man. Points awarded. Yeah, yeah. Plus Reincorporations, <laughs> the foundation of humor. I like that. All right. Well, thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone, for the false alarm. I know it was a pain in the butt. You guys all jumped on the stream, and then we were like, no, 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 we're not ready yet. And then we streamed anyway, and you guys all came back. So thank you very much for that. Um, if, any, if anyone is, like, watching this or listening to this while they're traveling with their family, um... To Thanksgiving dinner or whatever. We're very privileged to feel like we're a part of that with you guys. We do look at you guys as a little bit of our family. And so we always hope that you guys have a great Thanksgiving and a safe Thanksgiving and you get to spend it with the people that you love and care about. And hopefully we're included in that group. So everybody have a great and safe holiday. Like I said, look out. I'll be streaming, maybe lonely streaming over the next <laughs> few days. But this is just kind of the period that I have now with a little bit of downtime with everybody else kind of taking some time off. So You should play I Dynasty will... Warriors. You should stream Dynasty Warriors. No. I always, I always to, it, I, I, that was a thing I always tried to think of like the saddest game to be stuck playing alone on a holiday. <laughs> I think it's Dynasty Warriors. I think it's playing... I mean, that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> People will tune in the stream and I'll just be hanging from the ceiling. Just, my legs just swinging back and forth. Hey, everyone, don't follow Lubu. Yeah. Don't follow Lubu. <laughs> It will not be Dynasty Warriors, but I will be back in here streaming over the next couple of days. I hope you guys can join me. If you can't, I totally understand. And we will do uh, highlights of the Hangout, and they will be uh, archived to the site. So once again, everyone have a great, safe, and happy Thanksgiving. We'll see you back here next week. Game Face is up and out.